kind. Um, insert that clip from the, the the Batman movie where Batman says, some days you just can't get rid of a bomb. That would be hilarious. Yes, Jim will provide you with that clip. Oh. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time for the Pie Factory Podcast. Hi, everybody. Welcome to another Pie Factory Podcast. This is episode number... 302. Woohoo! You're just a little bit off. What? You're 103 off. Or 203 off. We're actually at 99. Wait, 99? 99. Then why did I put in my notes that this is episode 302? I counted 301 previous episodes. Well, you counted it wrong, <gasps> oh, my those, friend. That was, oh, oh, I was counting my three sons' episodes. I'm sorry. I can see where you would make that, make yeah. that mistake. That's an honest yeah, mistake. Yeah, and I stopped counting once I got to 302, so that's what it was. I wonder if the town of Beaumont, Texas is named after Hugh Beaumont. Oh, hmm. Hmm, I have to look into that someday. And that's one of the things I love about the Please Stand By podcast is every oh? episode you get to hear a little bit of Hugh Beaumont. Yes, you do. This is the time for pleasant discussion in a thoroughly relaxed mood. They don't pick this time of the day to spring unpleasant surprises on Dad. If they have disagreeable news, they'll postpone the discussion until another time. A date with your family. Oh, God. Classic, total classic in the words yep. of Carl Bertana Nanaluski, or yeah. whatever his name is. Whenever we cook inside, Mom always does the cooking. But whenever we cook outside, you always do it. How come? You know, they say a woman's place is in the home, and uh, I suppose as long as she's in the home, she might as well be in the kitchen. Well, that explains about Mom, but how come you always do the outside cooking? Well, I'll tell you, son. Uh, women do all right when they have all the modern conveniences. But us men are better at this uh, rugged type of outdoor cooking. Sort of a throwback to caveman days. Hand me those asbestos gloves, would you, Molly? So, hi, Sean. Hi. Hi, Jim. Uh, I'm Jim. That's Sean. I'm Sean. That's Jim. uh, He's from Chicago, and I'm from Morris, Illinois. Just in case you forget. Yep, yep. So, um, have you been doing any gaming lately? Dun-dun-dun. I have been. Well, do tell. Mainly because I wanted to research for this episode's uh, episode. Um, I went to the Galloping Ghost Arcade, and I oh, I went to Tony's before that. To, uh, actually, I I, I I reserved Sunday just so I could just get to the ghost. I love going to the ghost on Sundays because it's not very busy on Sundays. You can actually move around, you know. Mm-hmm. It's, very, it's actually kind of relaxing. Uh, I know I should have gone Saturday because that was Dark Presence Developer Day, but I I don't remember why I didn't do that. But well, because your if your Dark Presence uh, collided with their Dark Presence, and that would cause a huge antimatter disfluctuation in the time combobulation, mm. or so I've heard. Oh, of course, but of course, I I believe I have heard the same thing. But I went to Galloping Ghost Arcade. And before I left, I texted our friend Duke and said, hey, I'm going to the ghost. You want to join? And he's like, sure. So he joined me. We had dinner at Tony's at their new location. How uh, is their which, new location? All right. I'll tell you this. I'll tell you this. In fact, I just commented about this on somebody's uh, Facebook timeline. The food is still exact. everything that I love. Everything uh-huh. I love about Tony's, their food, it's still there. Uh-huh. The building, it's like, it's very modern. It yeah. looks like a restaurant that should be in this time having said that it doesn't really match the food <laughs> because you walk in you don't think like 
you know, family restaurant with like a butt ton of items on the menu, like Tony's is. And, you uh-huh. know, but it's like the atmosphere tells you one thing and the food tells you another. And, um, the atmosphere and the food don't mesh. The atmosphere is nice and the food is wonderful, but they still don't go together. <laughs> Having said that, I highly recommend Tony's. Absolutely. It's amazing food for really cheap and they have really good service there. They're always busy. They're always busy. And, uh, Welcome yeah. Welcome to and- Shade Tony's. Oh, by the way, Tony's, how would you like to sponsor a uh, video game podcast uh, that uh, takes place in your general vicinity? Hey, Ooh. get some, um, you know, a little advertising and uh, some more money in our pockets. Have our people call your people or, or something like that. Or money in our pockets, period, I guess. Oh, money. Yeah. Money makes the world go round. <sighs> I so that that's why like... I'm falling off into space. Huh. I don't know. I don't know. So... So, so did you guys like park by the ghost and walk over there or did you no. drive from one to the other? No, we drove from one to the other way because, um, Tony's, it's about a mile away now, yeah, isn't it? Yeah. It's a pretty, it's a pretty far It used distance. to be basically just kitty corner from the ghost. Yeah. I, the, 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 you know what? The one thing I think it's kind of sucks these days is when you talk about the galloping ghost. Now you have to mention which galloping oh, yeah, ghost yeah. Uh, business. <laughs> Are you talking about the garage? Are you talking about the pinball arcade, the gym, or the ar- or the regular arcade? Yeah. So you got to be clear. We're talking about, of course, the auto garage. Of course. Of course. You had they have a lot of games there, like uh, you know, find the bolt. Yeah. Of That's uh, and then. Um, Oh gosh! What was that one? They have a claw machine there where you can get the seven uh, tenth inch socket out. So that's oh, pretty. Oh really? Fun. Yeah, yeah. They oh, they added that. that to the claw yeah. machine. Yeah, yeah. So huh. uh, that's uh, that's always kind of fun. Wow, it, it makes dang uh, it. It, it makes doing maintenance on your vehicle a heck of a lot more fun. Yeah, yeah. And it's only a matter of time before Brookfield Zoo becomes Galloping Ghost Zoo. We've, I think we've mentioned this before, but I, I am seriously surprised that the zoo has not done anything with the ghost. I know, I know. They, they might they, be working on something behind you, the you scenes. Never you never know. You never know. I'm surprised that they haven't actually maybe opened a galloping ghost in Brookfield or right in the zoo. I mean, that I think that was, could be that could work if you put games in there that are like oriented around uh, zookeeper you know, or wildlife zookeeper, Congo um, Bongo, Congo Bongo, um, let me anteater, Flicky, two tigers. Oh well. That oh, would be Museum right. of Science and Industry, despite the name. Yeah, that is true. That is I, true. I still can't believe that I ever played Lunar Lander that, at the MSI. Uh, that was awesome. I can't believe I ever played Lunar Lander. Oh, come on. It's not that bad. Yes, it is. Okay, you're right. It, okay, it is if you put it in the context of a video game. But yeah, if you put it in the context of a simulator that you would see in yeah. the Museum of Science and Industry, that's another thing. Yeah, we talked about that before. It is a great... We did? It, uh, at some point, we did. Yes. Oh. Yeah. Uh, I could look up the episode number if you'd like. No, I don't. You don't? Okay. No, I just well, rather insist that we never talked about it ever. Oh, there you go. I guess that's a thing. Uh, and, yeah, and uh, I also went to the Galloping Ghost Arcade. Mm-hmm. And um, I didn't know this, but they do, because there's separate admission for the pinball arcade and separate yeah. admission for the video game arcade. I didn't know this, but there's actually a special rate if you want to go to both. Yes. Thirty bucks. Yeah, as opposed to fifteen and twenty. Fifteen and twenty, which is thirty-five. But I did there. I played one of the games that we are going to be discussing tonight, but not both of them because one of the games we're going to be discussing tonight is nowhere near here. And yeah, um, oh man, I wanted to play Tinkle Pit, but it was out of order. They're yeah, having some graphical I was a issues. Upset about that, I actually took the day off of work today, and I went to the Ghost for a little bit, and I was upset that. Uh, 
Tinkle Pit was down. But what are you going to do? These are old yeah. machines. And, and if, you know, from what he went through to get Tinkle Pit running, yeah. it's amazing it works at all. So, And they have Solar Quest. I forgot that Doc got Solar Quest. That was down, too. So I couldn't. Like, ah! Solar Quest. It's a Cinematronics game. Or as I call it, Cinematronics. Because for some reason, I always run the syllabus. Cinematronics. It's kind of like how people like say Carrington Vanston and other people from Toronto say Toronto. Toronto. They say T-R-O-N-N-O instead of Toronto. Isn't that one of the sequels to Tron? Toronto? No, that was Tron Q, I believe. Oh, you, yeah, you're right. Tron Q very yeah, much. Yeah, everybody misses that little squiggle that makes the O a Q, so. Yeah. Uh, yeah, okay. And yeah, I, so yeah, I. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. One thing that I was really excited about, and I was glad I was on the floor. I don't remember if we mentioned this before, but the Game Refuge game, uh, Death Stalker, uh, mm-hmm. the Spectre Files, which is a Laserdisc game. It's a live action Laserdisc game that basically you play by making decisions. Uh, it's like, which of the five? It's like a choose your own adventure kind of thing, and it's really, really, really cool. It's a game that uh, Brian. Co- <clears throat> King Henry the Eighth, and I think Jeff Nauman, like the, as far as like my the, uh, my daughter calls him, Bryant Colon. Oh yes, yes, yes. Bryant. Uh, they th- that they made back in the early '80s, but it never actually got released. And they finished it a couple of years ago, I think. And there are a few select arcades that have it. We and should la- do. I was thinking about it. We should just. I just got this idea just now. We should do an uh, an episode of this podcast. Uh, where we go to the Galloping Ghost and just review some of these prototype games that they have there. Yeah, I mean we've done yeah. Beavis and Butthead a long time ago, yes. but uh, but they've got other prototype games there too, other than just uh, that and Deathstalker. And the thing about Deathstalker is you really need to hear because the entire yes. thing is narrated. In fact, a young a younger I should say, uh, Brian Colin does all the narration. And with all the noise that happens at Galloping Ghost, because they have like six, yeah, they have over, it's, what number are they up to now? Uh, they're well it's over like, 700, yeah, like they 715 have like over, or something, I think. Yeah, you have 700 and some games, and especially on a busy day, it's going to be hard to hear the narration. So they added an audio output jack in case you can't hear the narration very well. So you can plug in a pair of headphones. And what was really cool about that is I actually brought my uh, digital recorder with me and rigged that up to it so I, so I could grab some audio and everything and sync it up with some video I took of the uh, gameplay. The stench was awful. It was like entering a tomb. There were rotting stairs to my right and a room to my left, and I felt a cold chill on the back of my neck. But it's a fun... Oh, my God. God, it's a fun game. I, I love okay, it. Okay, Galloping Ghost, according to Orcade, is up to 723 games. Okay, yeah, and that's probably dead on balls accurate, too. Yeah. Because, you know, they they update that thing pretty frequently. Uh, Galloping Ghost does. They, put their, they, they update their inventory, like, up to the second, if not sooner. But, yeah, that was great. Uh, the, la- the last time I was at the Ghost, uh, they didn't have the audio jack on the uh, Deathstalker machine, so I had to like pay really close attention, and it was not easy, but it is now. And, and, and that, and I think they cranked up the volume of it, because I didn't really need to listen to it through headphones. I could actually hear it pretty well, which was really cool. It could also be because it was the Sunday crowd, which wasn't very busy. And, oh my god, that's the one time I've been to the Ghost, and I did not see Jim White. Oh. He must have been sleeping out back or something. I don't know. <laughs> 
Because I, I, it's it is rare to go to Galloping Ghost and not see James White. So yeah, there's Deathstalker, and I played Cubert's Cubes a couple of times. And the first time I played Cubert's Cubes, I got eh, somewhere in the three hundred thousands. It was enough to get me on the card. I figured, hmm, let me try something. I played a second game. And I scored the highest that I ever scored on any arcade video game that second try. Oh. I ended up playing it almost for two hours straight just on one credit and ended up with 1.9 million. Wow, 1.9 million. Cubert's Cubes, once you find a groove, as long as you don't do anything really stupid, you can stay alive for a long time. And I was only a couple of hundred thousand shy of the house high. And I have never had a house high at the ghost ever. And my, I don't think I've ever had my name on a card there before. So now I have, I, but briefly, as soon as it got up there, it was like gone. Cause yeah, at the ghost, it's very competitive compared to say underground. Well, underground retrocade is competitive too, but not, but not quite to, to the this extent. level. No. Uh, Prince arcades too new for my turbo Ms. Pac-Man score to be taken down. And let's face it. People who go to silver ball in uh, Asbury park, New Jersey, they tend to not really think about strategies. Uh-huh. So, yeah, it's pretty easy for me to keep my name up there. Yeah, I'm, I've given up hope of ever getting my name up on a card at Galloping Ghost ever again. I never had any hope. It just, I, like I, I said, just I've got, had it up there briefly, but it yeah, got I, taken down. I and just I got fracking lucky. Recently, my score of fr- on Frenzy at uh, Retrocade got taken down, I think. Which, not that difficult to do. I'm not a very good player at any of this stuff. Right. The, the one game I'm halfway decent at, I can't even get on the on a card at Galloping Ghost. Uh, that would be Gyrus. I haven't played Gyrus in a long time, though. Neither have I. Really. And I like the game, but it's just the thing with... The, the thing, you know what? I'm not going to beat a dead horse here. Uh, Gyrus, you have to hear it. That's just the thing, you know? Oh, yeah. Especially but, the stereo um, sound. Yeah. Oh, man. So, um, that, you know, that is what it is. But... Um, so, yeah, I think I was on a card. I th- <laughs> wow, I like how I did that. I think I was on a card at Prince Arcades for Elevator Action uh, 2 for a little bit, but uh, that score got taken out. I thought I had made, uh, I think I thought I had gotten the world record, but apparently mm. I wasn't even close. Ah. Uh, I was like uh, several hundred thousand <laughs> points away. But uh, I did go to the Ghost today and uh, played uh, one of the games that we're going to talk about tonight. Ooh, I, I think I know which one it was. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're absolutely correct. It's, it uh, might have been the same one I played. Uh, maybe. Never know. Mm-hmm. So I went there today and uh, played some games. And Okay, there's an old Dilbert comic strip where uh, the pointy-haired boss goes in and tells Alice that they need to do status reports on, uh, on the project they're working on. And that she's reasoning, reasoning it through... And she's like, okay, if I do this, this will make the job. Then I'll have to do this, which wastes the time on this, and eventually the job will be impossible. Then she thinks, if the job is impossible, then I'm free. And then oh, she honks yeah. the uh, honks the uh, the pointy haired boss's nose. And uh, I'm kind of that way with uh, I've, I've taken that attitude with uh, with the high scores at, uh, at at any arcade these days, really. I know I'm never going to get on any of those cards or have a world record or anything, so I'm free to enjoy the games now. So, the thing is, that's what makes me enjoy them, like the possibility of getting up there. I'm not worried about it anymore. I, I just know I'm, I'm, it's never going to happen, and 
You know, so I can just enjoy the games. And if it does happen, it happens. I'm just not worried about it these days. Well, see, the, way the guy it, who's been talking about it constantly since we started recording. The way I see it, I would like to just suddenly, like, appear in the front door and everybody looks at me and drops what they're doing. It's like, oh, he's here. And they yeah, all run scared. Well, I mean, they do that now, but but they generally flee the arcade. Uh, I think it's because of I the But I want odor. for another reason. Oh, okay. So, yeah, I've been doing that. I've been playing... Uh, I busted out my uh, Atari 8-bit computer again just to play a few games, a specific one that we're going to be talking about tonight. Wait, we don't talk about Atari 8-bit computer games on here, do we? Or do we? Oh, we have to use the da-da-da music yeah, or the closet code. Or, okay. some, uh, or some variation thereof. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I've busted that out. I've been playing around with the Master System a little bit more. I haven't really turned on the uh, 7800 in a little bit. But uh, I'm, I'm thinking about finding some other way to have my system set out here because I want to leave them the uh, 7800 the master system and my Atari 8-bit computer out but I want it in a way to where it's not cluttered because my room is really horrible cluttered right now and it doesn't help that I'm a lazy slob too emphasis on the slob and the lazy so I'm trying to figure that out right now I got it on this Ikea like wire rack shelving unit which works but it's only got like two shelves on it and for the 8-bit computer I want to put it on something where I can sit next to it if I need to so and I don't really want to put another computer desk in here because the computer desk that I currently have is taking up a good portion of this wall. If anything, I'd really like to downsize everything in this room, to be perfectly honest, because maybe it'll make this room a lot less cluttered. What if you were being dishonest? Well, then I'd be a politician. Yeah, so there's that. Uh, but So, yeah, I've been playing that. But it was good to get to the ghost because I haven't been out to an arcade in a while. I think the last one I was to was probably... Prince Arcade's, like, right after they opened. Wow, that was, like, March, February? Yeah, that's been a while. It's been a while, yeah. Yeah, so there's that. So that's what I've been up to. (sighs) Excuse me. Oh, am I boring you? Yeah. Oh, okay. So at least I'm doing my job. So, uh, uh, I think at this point, do we have any addenda and errata? Well, I do believe that we do. We do. I do. I, I, I do. Dooby dooby doo. Dooby dooby. Um, lum 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 lum. Lums? That was a. Oh, according to my notes, we have some um, addenda and errata for Dragzine Spirit. Oh, we do? Yeah. What oh. is drag? What's Dragzine Spirit? Isn't that uh, the company that makes that uh, vacuum cleaner that's got the ball in it, and they also make the hand dryers in the men's room where you got to put like your hands on a slot and then they. Ooh, it's time for a commercial. I hope it's for a vacuum cleaner with the proper amount of suction. Yeah. Oh, no, wait, that's Dyson. Um, Dope. Oh, you know what? I wonder if this is maybe a typo. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Uh, that, I gotta oh, hold on. There you go. Okay, I fixed the typo. It's actually Dragso Spirit. Dragso Spirit. Oh, Yes, Dragso. So that's oh, what it is. Okay. Yeah, I, I see what you... Okay. All so right, what, yeah. So what about Dragso Spirit? All right, well... um. Yeah, something that I failed to mention in my discussion of Dragso Spirit. Uh, wait, suddenly it says Dragon Spirit. Huh. Oh, must be freaking, magic. Freaking Google is just messing with me, Ralph. Something that I forgot to mention, and I'm surprised that nobody called it out that, as far as I could tell at least, if you win the game, if you finish Dragon Spirit, the closing credits includes a scrolling list of all of Namco's arcade games and the months and the years that they were released up to that time. Oh, no way. Now, I, now I've got to play that game a little bit uh, 
a little bit more to get to that. Or just go on YouTube and watch somebody who did it. Just where's the fun the in end. that? Oh, actually, I, actually, I probably have just enough skill to do that though. Click one button. Oh dang! I clicked the wrong button. Now I'm not on YouTube anymore. Yeah, and of course because Dragon Spirit, yeah, excuse me, is from Man, what 1989. Awake. It doesn't mm-hmm. have Tinkle Pit. Oh, in the credits. for shame. And speaking of Dragon Spirit. The person who suggested that we cover it, that would be one Soul Blazer, Greg Polander, Polander, Polander. Uh, I was hoping he would he would have clarified the pronunciation of his last name, but he didn't. Uh, he was disappointed that I didn't like the game. And I said, you know what? Would you like equal time? And he said, I'd love some equal time. Can I send you an audio? So I was like, yeah, send us an audio submission. I said it exactly like that too. Yeah. Because like I, yeah, yeah, yeah. it happened to be at a time when I hurt myself. Uh, but uh, can we, should we just uh, uh, listen to what uh, Soul Blazer has to say right now? Sure. Let's listen to this. Oh, Blazer. Hey, guys. Uh, Greg, a.k.a. Soul Blazer here. Uh, Sean and Jim were kind enough to allow me to send in an eye recording about my thoughts about the what, like about one of the games in the last episode, Dragon Spirit, since I was the one who recommended the game to them in the first place. Uh, so I want to thank them very much for giving me the chance to, to do so. I, I really appreciate it. Apparently, they said I also had recommended Will as well. I don't remember doing so, but I recommended that game a long time ago, like back when the podcast first started. So uh, I really don't remember. But uh, I mean, I, I like Will. Fine. It's an okay arcade game. I played it in Maine for the first time of, uh, for the first time a couple of years ago. But uh, yeah, I mean, I, I don't have anything against it. If, 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 they, if they say that I recommended the game, I recommended the game. But I did not see, actually see Dragon Dragon Spirit like in the arcades. Uh, I was um, my first exposure to it was the NES port in 1990, which is really a I suppose you could call it a reimagining of the game, kind of like, kind of the same vein that Gradius, um, sorry, uh, uh, Gyrus is like for the NES. Uh, the NES version does have all the game stages that the, the uh, uh, that the arcade version has. It has all the bosses. It has all the enemies. It has all the power ups. Um, it's functionally the same game, but the uh, but the three main key differences is that they added in a story uh, and cutscenes also like in between chapters uh, to kind of give the impression that the game was actually a sequel to Dragon Spirit, even though it's not really. Uh, those cutscenes were not found like in the original like arcade version, uh, and so they tell a, a basic story. Uh, also, uh, they also gave you uh, as as well as having unlimited continues, of course, being like a home uh, home version of the game. It's not going to be a quarter muncher. They also gave you like two different uh, difficulty settings. So, you have both easy and you also have normal. Uh, and easy is what happens uh, when you lose a fight against the against the boss part of the game, who's actually the final boss in Dragon Spirit, the arcade game. If you lose against that guy, you get thrown into easy mode, which is only like five stages, stages long. It's kind of like a kid's mode of the game. But it's also like a good way to practice and kind of warm up to, to the game. Normal mode is just the regular game, uh, as is. So, anyway, that's my first approach to the game. I really, I really enjoyed the game a lot. Uh, later, uh, I played the arcade version, uh, uh, version one of the like one of Namco's uh, home collections, and like I really enjoyed it. My take on the game is very different from what Sean and Jim said about it, so I wanted to kind of explain why I like the game so much. First of all, I'm a big fan of shooters in general. It doesn't really matter what, what it doesn't really matter if, like they're side scrollers or top downs or if they're like soldier based like Commando or, or Contra is or if they're like ship based like Gradius games. You know, I really love shooters. You know, the, the, uh, I definitely you know next to RPGs and simulation games. They're, they're, they're definitely some of like, my favorite games. 
Uh, second, I'm more of a sci-fi guy than a fantasy guy, but I like fantasy uh, just fine. I mean, like, you know, I, I do play D&D occasionally. I mean, you know, I have read some fantasy books. Um, you know, give me a choice. I'll, prefer, uh, I'll go with sci-fi. Like, uh, sci-fi, you know, any day of the week. But, um, you know, I like fantasy fine. And so, and three, I really like dragons. I, I, I think dragons are cool. <laughs> They're usually portrayed in media as either being neutral or neutral or evil forces, like most Disney movies, Game of Thrones, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So to actually have a dragon that's good kind of like endeared to me because I'm like I first saw this game like the NES and I'm like, oh wow, you actually get to turn into a dragon. That's like freaking cool, uh, you know. So and it's actually like a very like powerful dragon. So you know, it was a you know a, a unique hero for a game. I thought there's not. There's not any other games I'm aware of, uh, minus the old computer game Dragon Rider Pern, based upon the for the books, where you actually get to control dragons, or good dragons that is. So, uh, yeah, uh, the theme of the game like really like endeared itself to me. The game's difficult. I would not call it the over the, the, the most difficult shooter out there I have played. It is possible to get good at the game. I myself have gone through the arcade game numerous times uh, on one like one credit. I'm not so good that I can actually get through the whole game in a single life. There are people on YouTube who have recorded videos that look like I'm doing that. Uh, but yes, you know, I am able to finish the whole game uh, on one credit. So I do think it's possible. It's possible you go to the game. You just simply, and that's one of the things that I really like about the game so much. It's a pure shooter. There's no gimmicks. There's no tricks. There's no crap stuff. It's just simply like you just have to play the game until you get good at it. Uh, 1943, I think, is another, uh, I think it's a great example like it being like a uh, pure shooter. In some ways, the game's easier than the Gradius games because when you die in Dragon Spirit, as opposed to Dragon, uh, like opposed to the Gradius games, you get a whole bunch of power ups released, like released from your dragon, giving you a chance to get at least the, like some of your powers back. So that's like pretty cool. So the ability to be able to both shoot enemies in the in, in the air and also ball them on the ground is a cool touch. I never got the comparison to Xevious. I mean, I never, it never occurred to me at all playing this game. And until you guys mentioned it in the podcast. I like Xevious. I, I don't love Xevious. I think Xevious is a fine game, but I can kind of see the similarity. But you know, it makes sense for a dragon not to have the ability to have a to have a tracker to have a target to, on the on the ground because he's he's on a ship. He's a dragon. He's not going to be able to have that ability. So I mean, that's why. Uh, so that's why you don't have the ability just to um, uh, like the target. But I never really found that difficult to be able to aim your shots. So I have to get the used to it. So you know, and. Um, the stages are very different. You know, you have like ice stages, water stages, fire stages, you know, typical stuff. But, you know, the, the variety of enemies keeps the game fresh and interesting, I thought. The boss fights are also, like, pretty good. Some of them are very tricky. Some of them look pretty easy. Um, but you have to use, like, multiple strategies against it. To become multiple strategies, one of the things I really love about this game is... The power-up system allows you to be able to play through the game numerous ways, depending on how you customize your dragon. Because numerous ways, like, for you to, to decide how you want to power up your big flying lizard. My preferred strategy is just simply go, like, three necks and, like, you know, like, the fireball spread to have, like, you know, a three-base shot like each head. That gives you a very wide range of coverage. So it may not be the most powerful weapon at weapon, but that but with a wide range of coverage really is effective against many stages. Other players prefer to have the laser or the fire breath, I suppose you could call it, which of course is narrow focus but very very powerful. Expert players who I watch, um, uh, watch people play the play this game on YouTube, a lot of expert players prefer to use the small strategy. 
they get the small power up to make your dragon teeny tiny little uh, small and hard to hit. Yes, you don't have very much firepower in this mode, but because your hitbox is so small, it allows you to, be able to get through a lot of difficult situations. And that's a very viable, you know, viable way to play it. There is no like right way to play the game. Basically, that's what makes it like. Um, that's what makes the game great. There's numerous ways how you want to like just go through the game depending on your power ups. So you know that allows for a lot of, like replay value. I think graphics are very good, like for an arcade game. I mean, they're typical 16-bit graphics. The NES version. They did a good job downscaling the game to 8-bit graphics, I think, on that. So, um, like, kudos to them like for doing that. But one of my favorite things about this game, well, one of the favorite out of many things I really like uh, uh, I really love about this game is the music. I think this game has an awesome soundtrack. It's a very, very good soundtrack because there are some arcade games that have very good soundtracks. But most people don't really associate great music with arcade games. I mean, that's more for the province of, like, home games. Because usually, I guess, maybe because we're so busy trying to make our one quarter last as long as possible, we're not really paying much to, to, too much attention like the music. But there are some arcade games that have very good music. You know, there's uh, Gyrus, of course. Ghost and Goblins has good music, 1943. Just, just that game again. Contra and Super Contra. Um, and some other games, too, out there. The soundtrack for this game, I think, is just amazing. It's a very well-done, r- wonderfully robust, like, a very variety soundtrack that kind of captures that fancy feel to, to uh, like, feel of the game, like, very, very well. It's definitely, definitely a great, great track. Like, even though, like, plan to play the game, the, the music in this game is well worth, like, listening to. I think it's, like, a, a very good soundtrack. I need to, like, you know, a soundtrack. The music's so important with a shooter, I think, because... More than any other game, or it kind of harmonizes you to what's going on, to what's going on in the game. So, you know, the music in this game is just great. So, um, yeah, so I, I think it's just really like a very excellent shooter. I mean, Namco really knew, uh, Namco like really knew how to make like our uh, excellent arcade games. You know, it, it's a very unique, challenging game without being like overly difficult. You just have to get to practice for it like a little bit and, and learn, like most games, learn the patterns and everything. You know, the dragon's cool, unique. The, the, the multiple ways to go through the game, depending on the power-ups is nice. Uh, yeah, just a just a well-rounded, very robust game, which I really like and enjoy playing. Uh, this is definitely one of my favorite like go-to like go-to shooter games uh, as far as like an uh, uh, I as far as, like the games out there go. And if you struggle with the game, if you find the game too, too, too difficult, I really, I really recommend playing the NES version instead because the NES version of the game is easier. Like in the normal game of the mode, because the NES can't handle the same amount of enemies on screen that the arcade version could, that makes the game easier because you don't have so much crap flying at you at once. So that along with a couple of different power-ups uh, also make the uh, NES version of the game a little bit easier. So I highly recommend playing the NES version perhaps first, gauge the game that way, and then those skills should carry very, very nicely like over the arcade version of the game. So yeah, I'm a little bit disappointed that you guys didn't like the game that much because, like I said, I think it's just an excellent like arm shooter. If I was to give it a scale uh, rating, uh, rating myself, I'd probably give like four and a, uh, uh, like four stars out of five. Uh, it's just a, it's just a, it's not like something. It's not my favorite shooter of all time. So it's definitely like you know like well up there and just like controls up and just like you know just to finish up. I know you guys said the dragons don't do much for you, but it's refreshing to me to play a game where you don't have to control a soldier or a ship. Uh, or anything like that. I, I mean, the whole theme of the game is very unique and different, especially for them. Uh, you know, especially like when the game came out, you know, like in the late '80s. I know it's been down to death these days, but you know, back then, just they like, just you know, being able to play something like different was just very, very refreshing and really helped to. And that, among with the very uh, challenging and variety and variety unique gameplay, really keeps you coming back for more and more. I think so. Anyway. 
that's just my thoughts like on this game you know i, I love uh, uh love your work love the podcast keep up through keep you keep up doing all the great stuff that you are doing and i catch you again uh sometime soon hopefully uh thanks again and take care I do like that clip uh, on the from the twenty six hundred game by game podcast. Oh, by the way, I hope um, Ferg. I hope uh, hope everything's going well with you. You haven't put out an episode in a while, and we are Facebook friends, so I know what's going on. But uh, we stay in touch and stuff. But uh, kind of has a hole in my podcast library now. But you need no seriously do what you do what you need to do. Yeah, do what, I, you, do what you need to do. I need him That's to take all. as much time as he needs to take. Yeah, just like we do in the Tinkle Pit. <sighs> so um, well, thanks, Greg. Um, we think. First of all, okay. First of all, it's Gradius, not Gradius. Gradius. Oh, Jesus, this is at least this is at least one one thing that Sean and I agree on. So it's Gradius. It's but, Nemesis. Well, there is that. Yeah, they just recently they just recently did Nemesis on. Uh, oh yes, uh, ten pence actually, and uh, I didn't. Uh, as per usual, did not submit a uh, score, which yeah. I got to do that every... I think I submitted exactly one score to them the entire I time I've been have. listening. I may have, too, but... Yeah. But I don't or at know. least multiple scores, but for the same game. And uh, Greg was saying something about the difficulty not being horrible on it, and um, it's... Yeah, I, I mean, you, Sean, described it as a bullet hell type game. I don't, I don't know. know if I really consider it a bullet hell type game. I, it's maybe a precursor to it. I think yeah. thinking about it, I think Xevious is maybe more of a bullet hell game, especially the further you get into it. But, sure. Uh, and after I heard what Greg had to say, I actually fired up uh, a dragon spirit on, on MAME uh, because uh, my, my dragon spirit cabinet is... Uh, uh, it's, uh, it's at the Galloping uh, Ghost Garage. Yeah, yeah. So I couldn't play it, you know, because I would never emulate a copyrighted game that I oh, don't actually not. own. You know, of course not. And I know none none of our listeners would. Because so, they're all just upright citizens. Yes, of course. Of yes. course, we have a whole brigade of them. But I played a little bit of uh, Dragon Spirit after listening to Soul Blazer, and I'll tell you what, it's it really isn't in terms of bullet hellishness. It's not as bad as what I originally thought. It really isn't. Uh, it, just for laughs, I picked, I think, Area 9 once when I tr- tried it again. And that, oh, that was pretty brutal. That, <laughs> it, starting it, starting that late, whoo, boy. <laughs> oh, I bet. I'm too chicken to do that. Maybe not. And that was an interesting point that uh, Greg brought up about how, well, yeah, of course you're not going to have like a little uh, right. uh, sight on it because you're pilot you're a dragon you're not right piloting a ship What's but like, as i said though i mean yeah. they could have they could have done the perspective a little bit to where you could use the shadow of the dragon as uh oh, that's as true. kind of yeah. like your sight too though so i mean it didn't have to be like a gun well, sight that's assuming it's at noon or else the shadow would be kind of skewed well yeah, okay maybe true, not. true. It, it depends on the time of day let's put it to you that way because the true. shadow is going to skew a different way at different i mean i guess after, i mean it's after you play it for a little bit, you get a feel for that sort of thing. In most every game where they don't have like a defined thing like that, you, you generally get the hang of it, except with Rescue. Yeah, and I have to agree with Soul Blazer about the soundtrack. I mean, I'm going to flat out admit one of the things that turned me off was the soundtrack, but that was quite simply because I suck at the game and I kept hearing the same music <laughs> over and over. If you go a few further levels in, the music changes. You have like a, you have uh-huh. a pretty nice variety. Uh-huh. So, are you going to uh, maybe raise your rating on it? From what to what? From two to three? I don't know. I don't know. Well, we'll leave that up. We'll you know leave what? that up. Screw here. it. Yeah, yeah. I'll, yeah? I'll bump. It. Yeah, let's Whoa. make it a three. But it's not going to be. See, there are threes that I'll come back to, and threes that I won't. This is probably going to be a three that I won't. 
Okay. Mainly because it's not my kind of game. You're not generally a huge fan of shooters, although there are some that you do like. Yeah, that, no, it's it's not that I'm turned off by shooters. It's just this one I just don't like. Because remember, I, I love Centipede, Millipede. True. Uh, oh, I play yeah, that's Space true. Invaders. Uh, I would play Tax Scan if anybody had it. I love Solar Quest. Asteroids. I love the Asteroids game. So, yeah, I, I like shooters. That's I like true. 1942. Don't Generally, like 1943, I like, but I mostly like mostly my favorite shooters have uh, have Jack Daniels in them though. So, and I like um, Sky Cursor. Yeah, Sky Cursor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a fun one. I'm surprised we haven't talked about that one yet. That's 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 another one of those specialty ones we have to. Yeah. So cool, cool. And I said, did we have more? Yeah, yeah. This is from actually two episodes ago. When I talked about how I was playing the Atari 7800 Baby Pac-Man, uh-huh. and I was finding myself going down the Pac-Scalator, which I don't know why. I just love the Pac-Scalator so much. <laughs> it's just a quick animation. It's just a, 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 like a half a second cut scene, but I love it. And I mentioned how I didn't know how to actually trigger the Pac-Scalator, and I did notice something eventually after we recorded, and I uh-huh. forgot to mention it last episode. Actually, I was going to say, oh, I know what I was going to say, and then I never did say it. But from what I can tell, the Paxcalator is triggered if you leave the pinball portion of the game without actually draining the pinball. Like, if, like going down between the flippers. Right, right. Like if the if like a uh, normal way you lose a ball in a pinball machine. Yeah, I don't remember exactly how it happens, but I think it has to do with like hitting a drop target or something that suddenly cuts you away from the pinball well, machine. You have to get, hit, I don't know the exact thing, but there's like a a ball catch like in the upper yeah. right of the playing field. Play, yes, playing field. I don't want to go back there. Uh, in the hey, playing field, I'm glad I went back there. And uh, you got to get the ball in there, but you have to trigger something first before you hit the ball into that. Yeah, I don't know what it yeah. is. And, um, and the cool thing the is, like, in the arcade game, it does have the pascalator too, and I've triggered it once or twice. And it's from going from the pinball portion to the video. The video portion is above the pinball. Shouldn't the Pac-Man be going up pascalator? Um, uh, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe when we talk about baby Pac-Man, oh, you know we can what? address that. That's where the little warp tunnel is. Mm-hmm. It's at the bottom of the pascalator. You just don't see it. It's kind of like how. In most Pac-Man oh, games, when he goes I in the gotcha. tunnel, he comes yeah, out the right. other side okay. of the screen. It's still that might that's be some it. weird physics thing there. But then again, it's midway. This is a complete midway product. It's that's not true. a hack of a Namco Pac-Man game. That's true. But we'll, we'll we'll talk about that in a future episode, I suppose. And yeah, yeah, yeah. I hey, I once thought I didn't want to go back to Plainfield either, but I went back to Plainfield a couple of weeks ago and adopted a beagle. That's right, you did. I got little low. Yeah, we, yeah. There was a tip off from my niece. Like uh-huh. she, we told her that when summer happened and my wife was home from school and all that, that we'd be looking to adopt. And she kept her eye out and saw something. And it's like, oh, look at that. And like, so yeah, we have a beagle again. What did you name it? We didn't name her anything. She already had. Oh, a name. she had a name. What, what's her name? I will spell it. Be- no, I won't. I, I hesitate. You know what her name is, <laughs> but I don't want to say it because I know it's going to trigger. You don't have I know to how say you it are. All. I know how you are with dog names. <laughs> I remember when my mother got Alasa Opso named Shirley. Every damn time <laughs> you you were over, I if I could get a dollar for every time you said Shirley, you can't be serious. 
Ah, yes, I remember that. Man, I still say there is a I there's a little town right now. of a little town called Shirley just south of uh, Bloomington, Illinois. And I every time we pass that, I say, you know what? They should have the uh, the National Airplane Festival there. Where everybody like would dress up like somebody from the movie, and they have props or whatever, and they'd show the movie Airplane in the, in the town of Shirley, Illinois. Just because of two lines in the movie. Exactly. Just two lines. Don't hey, call me people, Shirley, and stop calling me Shirley. That's it. That's people it. People would go. People would go to that. I don't remember if I mentioned this in this podcast before, but right up five, six years ago, when my wife and I went to New Orleans, I watched Zero Hour during the flight. Yeah. And Zero Hour, for those of you who don't know, is the original airplane. It's what Zucker Abraham Zucker based airplane off of. In fact, it was so much, it was so close to Zero Hour, they apparently actually purchased the rights to Zero Hour just so they wouldn't get in trouble. Well, I got to tell you, like Zero Hour is airplane without without the silly, well, at least without the intentionally silly things. The way they used to... um, You watch Zero Hour and you're very familiar with Airplane, your self-diagnosed and possibly professionally (laughs) diagnosed OCD is going to go batch crazy. Like, especially the line, the fog is getting thicker. Because the line that you're expecting next never happens in Zero Hour. The the thing with the the Zucker Brothers is the way they, they got their ideas for, well, that movie and the movie before it, the Kentucky Fried movie, which is amazingly hilarious. Just uh, don't watch it in front I, of the kids. I, I watched that during the same trip, and I didn't really like it. Really? Oh, God, I it, love that it one. It bored me. I, I think the Fistful of Yen sequence went on a little too long. Oh, and I yeah, think that's that went what, on for a that, long That kind of killed the flow, but the rest of the movie I yeah. thought was fine. But but what they, what they did back then, because they had uh, a comedy troupe. It was in Madison, Wisconsin. It was the Kentucky Fried Theater. And uh, what they would do is they would just put a VCR on and record late night television and get their ideas yeah. from that. That's how they got the uh, the idea for Kentucky Fried Movie. That's how they got the yep. idea for Airplane because mm-hmm. they happened to record Zero Hour. Yep. And there's a video on YouTube. Uh, I don't have the link because I didn't know we were going to talk about it, but that they actually <laughs> show the scenes of Zero Hour and Airplane side by side. Link in the show notes if we can find it. Link in the show notes if we find it. I'm sure we will. God, it can't be that hard. So um, there That's is what that. she said. Yeah, well. <laughs> she didn't say that. We know what we have an email from Eugenio. Um, oh, do we? Yeah. So, but I th- let me see here. Uh, oh, you know what? Let's wait to read this. Aww. Oh, we're gonna have to edit this because oh, oh, he did not say that. What? Hold. Oh, uh, are you looking at the email? Um, I can get that way. Oh. Let's see. No. <gasps> no. Let's see. <gasps> Oh, you gotta be kidding! No, 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 no! <laughs> I kid, I kid, I kid. Uh, we're gonna read this one at the end of the episode. Oh, by the way, appear, it appears that you have an addendum. I do. Yes. Um. Yes, you shared that detail with me at ten thirty-two a.m. CDT on Monday. Ah, but it, okay. Uh, but that actually ties in with one of the games. So uh, I'm gonna wait. Oh, I'm gonna wait on that. And we're going to wait on reading Eugenio's email because uh, it has to do with uh, two of the games we're talking about tonight. And it doesn't. uh, And uh, since he's not talking about any of the other games uh, from the podcast, uh, we'll just hold off on this one and read it at the end. I think with all that, we should probably talk about some games. Oh, should we? Well, Well, yeah, we should. I mean, that's kind of the idea of this podcast, right? Yeah, but there is something I want to do um, before we talk about any games. Oh, 
I didn't think this was going to happen, but I was informed that it was going to happen by my most recent trip to, uh, oh, what the hell's the name of that place uh, that doesn't sponsor us, but should, um, um, Tony's? um, um, um well, we already talked about Tony's, uh, lickety split. That's it. Lickety split. It's a frozen custard place. Oh, in, uh, Dundee. No, no, oh. that's Vans. Oh, that's Vans. No, Lickety Split is just like a few blocks away from me. Actually, they have two locations. They have one one close to me and actually another one fairly close to Duke. Okay. Now that I think about it. So, yes, what um, what what are you talking about here? What are you getting at? Yeah. Well, they sell a huge variety of novelty and pseudo-novelty sodas. Or as some people say, pop or tonic or Coke lowercase c. So I think it's time we uh, open up Sean's drinking arena. Ah. That it's, uh, I didn't think this was going to go on for this long, but it is. I found a couple of Lester's Fixins drinks that I never knew existed, and I want to uh-huh. taste one of them right now. And this one, oh, this, the, the picture of Lester on the logo. Well, I'll tell you first the name of the soda. It is called Cucumber Soda. Ooh. And it has kind of a tealish color to it, kind of like a pale teal color. And Lester on the Lester's Fixins logo, he has cucumber slices over his uh, eyeglass lenses. Ah. All right, I'm taking a whiff of it. It smells like leather. It smells like leather. Um, it kind of tastes like leather, too. <laughs> I can, it, there's a tiny hint of cucumber. You know, it's not bad. It's not bad. It tastes like leather with a tiny hint of cucumber. Did I already go on my rant about people like going like when they taste something? Uh, I don't remember if I do, I but people, if you do that, stop it. It's stupid. It's pointless. All right? Just taste it. Your taste buds don't need you to go when you're tasting something. But there, Sean's drinking, Rita, and I now declare it closed. Closed. So there we are. And knowing is half the battle. So with that, which game you want to talk about first? Um, oh, man. I, I really didn't want to make any decisions tonight. Um, All right. Well, uh, how about Blaster? Let's start with that. Aha! Blaster. Aha! So yes, Blaster. This is a 1983... Pew, pew. Pew, pew. 1983 Williams Electronics game. It is officially a sequel to Robotron without having any of the same play Hold mechanics. Uh, oh, shoot. Yeah, I should have known. I don't know why I've been having the song Good King Wenslow stuck in my head for this last year. Don't ask me why. So, yes. Why do you have the... Oh, never mind. Don't ask me why. Sorry. You see, all the waiters in your grand cafe... Oh, oh gosh. I'm not going to go into a Billy Joel thing here. So, um, yes. Blaster, 1983, William sequel to Robustron and Graster game, blah, blah, blah. The object is to get through 19 waves to eventually get to paradise. Paradise. Take me down to paradise. Um... You know, we haven't done a dramatic reading in a while. No, no, we did the Twilight Zone reading a few episodes ago. Yeah. But you know what? Do you think it's necessary? Eh, You know what? I'll just read it verbatim. (laughs) All right. Um, right. So the game's demo mode, it says, it is the year 2085. See, it takes place the year after Robotron. The Robotrons have destroyed the human race. (laughs) Oh, wait a minute. That's bad. Basically, yeah, you fail at Robotron. Fail. You escape in a stolen space shuttle. So you're also a thief. Uh, you're a failure and a thief. Your destination, Paradise, a remote outpost 20 million light years away. Does Paradise exist? Can civilization be started again? These questions will be answered at the end of your journey, but first you must blast or be blasted. Dun, dun. 
Yeah, you know. So, uh, uh, first of all, one thing with Blaster, uh, it's kind of a similar situation with uh, if you find a food fight cabinet, is uh, the joysticks, because they're unusual, have sometimes fail a little often. Uh, I have to say, um, when I went to the Ghost today, uh, that was not the case with Blaster. Oh, good. Uh, it yeah, it didn't fail fight. for me on Sunday either. Yeah. But oh, I, I have... spoiled it. Yeah, that's the game I played on Sunday at uh, oh! the Ghost. So the uh, the joystick is like a eight-way pistol grip joystick, but it's a 49 position. What happens is it does all of the cardinal directions, north, south, east, west, northwest, southwest, southeast, southwest. Uh, however, each direction has like six different speeds. So you push it just a little bit, you move slowly to a little more, a little faster, and until you get all the way. And then, of course, the 49th position is neutral. Now, what is Blaster? It is a 3D shooter, like through the cockpit, if you will. First of all, you do have an energy meter at the top of the screen. tells how much damage you've taken. Basically, three hits, and then you're dead. Uh, there's uh, am I, uh, I will have Hyde cut this out if, uh, this, if the answer is what I think it is. How do you replenish your energy? You replenish your energy. There's sometimes uh, in some levels, uh, I believe it's the planetoids level, maybe a few others. There's a big giant E that flies toward oh, the ship. Oh, that's what the... Okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay, so, thank you. Um, and in addition to the energy meter, you also have, there's like four corners like in the middle of the screen. And if anything hits in there, it registers as a hit. Like if it's uh, a planetoid or a robot or whatever, you'll take damage. If it's a flying astronaut who was actually kind of more tumbling in space. Wait, I thought that they destroyed the human race. So why are you picking up astronauts? Yeah, but that's on Earth, though. It, but it doesn't say on And Earth. also, did the, are those necessarily human astronauts? Ah, uh, that's, that's a good point. Um, ah. <laughs> so uh, anything that uh, falls in between those corners uh, registers as a hit. So it's not the whole screen. So you don't have to steer things off the screen. Just keep things away from that square, which is actually kind of nice. Um, you have two buttons. They're both on the control panel and on the um, and on the uh, the pistol it's grip. Thrust. And it's thrust and blast. Uh, on the pistol grip, thrust, uh, thrust is on top of the pistol grip, and blast is the trigger. Now, the game consists of 20 waves. The first one is the robot grid. Uh, the robot grid contains, well, robots. You're actually on a planet, and you got, like, the scrolling, like, bars, like in, uh, say, Buck Rogers' planet of Zoom. And... Um, you blast those, but there's also like bridges, arches you can go under, and every time you go under one, you get to get bonus points. In the version of Blaster they have at Ghost, it starts at like a thousand points, and then two thousand, three thousand, four thousand, caps off at five thousand every every one thereafter. If you miss one, it goes back down to a thousand points. Uh, then you have the Planetoids screen, which uh, just a bunch of little asteroids and planets, and this is where one of the one of the screens where you will find the tumbling astronauts that you can pick up and one thing i just noticed today uh when playing blaster is in the planetoid screen there are planets actual planets in there but some of them have moons uh rotating around them or uh, orbiting oh. them and i thought that was kind of a neat little touch i'd never noticed that before vampires is just well i guess they, they look kind of like vampires and they're just aliens in space shooting you saucer land is interesting because they're ufos that uh, fly at you in formation however there is a red saucer. If you hit that one first before you shoot any of the other saucers in the formation, you get 5,000 bonus points, plus it destroys all of the uh, all of the UFOs in the formation. If you destroy it last, after you've destroyed all the other uh, saucers in formation, 
you still get 5,000 points. So that's kind of cool. Yeah. Then you go back to the robot grid, back to the time tunnel, planetoids. And then there's one called Cat World, which is kind of similar to vampires, but it's uh, except, you know, cats. Uh, then Saucerland, vampires. There's one called Masterminds. Uh, really, some of the space scenes do have a lot of the similar, a lot of similar. Um, Snossages? Snossages. Uh, there, a lot of those, a lot of the space screens are kind of similar like that, but uh, they just have different looking enemies and they fire in different ways. Uh, and eventually, there's one called Enduro, and um, never, of course, we're getting past my uh, expertise at this game. Um, level 19 <laughs> you're, is you're way past mine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is not an easy game. It's and, a Williams game. <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> Why would there be an easy Williams game? I don't think I've ever played an easy Williams game. Yeah, um, I, I love Williams games, by the way, but man, they're hard. Oh, hell yeah, they are. I think that's why people love them so much. I think, honestly, I think Joust is the easiest of all the Williams games. I think so, too. Either that or uh, Bubbles. Or Bubbles. Yeah, I like Bubbles. We've talked about that. Um, then level 19 is Armageddon, where it basically just throws all the enemies at you at one in one go. And then level 20 is Paradise. And level and Paradise, there's nothing to shoot. It's just a bunch of pirouetting ladies in ballet in a, in a ballet tutu, just pirouetting through space, which I think they'd kind of die of suffocation without having any sort of air source, Ugh. and they'd be frozen cold. But eventually, they'll uh, they'll blow you a nice kiss, and you've reached paradise. And then, of course, as per every game, it starts at the another level, higher difficulty, <laughs> if that's possible. Um, so um, I shudder to think. I mentioned the energy meter before. Uh, there are places in the game where you can pick up energy it's just a big e and if it hits in that rectangular area on the screen it not only replenishes your energy it warps you out of the level you're on and during the warp if you hit any enemies planetoids or whatever you actually get some points for that so yeah so you're kind of invincible even after you pick up the uh, after you pick up the energy so that's kind of nice as far as the enemies go and i got uh, some of this information off of uh, a fact file on this game off of gamefacts.gamespot.com so uh, we'll link to the file in the show notes. Um, very, very helpful. So in the uh, first level, the uh, robot grid, the robots are 100, 200, 300, 400, 500 for each consecutive one you kill. Um, they're TIE fighters and planes, 200 points. Cyborg duck is 70 points. Wait, what does say 3,000 to 6,000? I don't know. Uh, vampires are 100 points. Masterminds are 100 points, but then it goes up 500, 600, 700, etc. Planetoids are 100 points. Runaway ship is 500. Some of the uh, space scenes you have to actually thrust after the enemies and stuff because they'll be going like faster than your ship. And actually, later on in the game, if uh, you have to thrust to go after the E as well to pick that up. So be careful. You know, watch out for that. Watch out for snakes. Okay. Uh, so the runaway ships, as I was saying, is 500 points. And then the spacemen start at 1,000 points, 1,500, 2,000, 2,500, and 3,000 every one you pick up thereafter. And in the original version of the ROM for this game, there was 30 levels, and you hmm. could actually continue. There's no continue on the, on the widely released version, and it only has 20 levels. And the spacemen increased 200 points for each one consecutive one you picked up. So there's a little scoring difference there. In the Enduro Wave, you get 100 points for the first or second kill of a certain monster, and then 200, etc. In addition to getting energy when you dock with the energy, the energy E, you get 10,000 points. And, I was saying, you get points for anything you run into after you hit the energy thing. You get 100 for each. So 
Uh, and then you get an extra life every 100,000 points. Shall we go into some trivia? This game's got a lot of trivia behind it. <laughs> Let's go into trivia. Actually, both of these games, I think, have a lot of trivia behind them. This game was originally known as Master Blaster, but they changed the name. Yeah. They changed the name to avoid confusion with the pinball game on the Apple II called Bill Budge's Raster Blaster. Um, the 3D graphics were all hand-rendered. There was no scaling hardware in the machine. And due to the expense of the 3D hardware, Blaster had a very limited release. There were only three cockpit versions of Blaster made, and they are extremely rare. Of course, there's only three. Uh, Eugene Jarvis's dad has one. <laughs> uh, one was converted into a prototype game called Devastator, and there's a rumored third cockpit cabinet, which uh, some people claim they've seen. Some, you know, no proof on that whatsoever. The two cabinets that were released, there was the the Duramold, which we talked about, I believe, in the Bubbles episode, and there is the uh, there's a regular wooden cabinet, which the oh. Alpine Ghost has. Speaking uh, of Duramold, what was this? You told I thought that that was the Duramold company in uh, Michigan. In right? Michigan, uh huh. And I pulled over, we, my wife and I went to St. Joseph one day, and on the way there, I actually pulled over and took a picture there. We posted it on the Facebook page, and you found out it wasn't... They the say actual- it wasn't, but I heard these Duramold cabinets came from a company in Michigan. That place is in Michigan, and it's called Duramold. I'm, saying, I'm assuming somebody just doesn't know the history of the company. Hmm. Because I think, well, I mean, what are the chances? You yeah, know? yeah. So it... But at any rate, the, uh, the wooden cabinets are actually more rare than the Duramold, if you can believe really? that. That's, um, that's something. Yeah, because, um, because yeah, the wooden cabinets would be a lot easier to make, and the Duramold were basically done as a way to make the cabinets on the cheap. I don't know if I've ever seen... Do they have, I don't think they have any Duramold cabinets of either the... Well, no, not of this, but I don't... I think yeah. the Bubbles is a regular wooden cabinet, too. No, it is, yeah, I've never seen a Duramold cabinet ever. I'm going to have to see if I can... Well, I mean, I've seen pictures of them, but... Um, well, sure. I don't, I'm wondering if I saw one at Midwest Gaming Classic. Oh, man. Hmm. Hey, by the way, is it safe to assume we're not going to have a table this year? I think it's probably safe to assume that. Yeah, I mean, not I'm not saying still, we won't go there. Oh, yeah. I'm I'm, I'm definitely going to get my tickets, this, like, tomorrow, because I get paid tomorrow, so I'll... But I think what we they're might, on sale. We, me and Sean are talking about still doing something, though, for the podcast yeah. there. We're just not going to have a table this year. Yeah, yeah. Because, number time. one, we actually want to do stuff. And number two, yeah. we'd actually like to not run out of money. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so um, Anyway. But uh, there was also a conversion kit for other Williams games. So you could convert like a Robotron or a Defender into Blaster. And this is interesting. The cockpit version of Blaster is noted by the Guinness Book of World Records as the most valuable arcade game as of two, uh, 2010 with a value of $12,000. Wow. Like, now, I said that three cockpits were made. Guinness claims that five were made. So, you know, who knows what the real number is. We know, we know for a fact that two were made. We know, we know where those are. But any others, who knows? Uh, Larry Demar and Eugene Jarvis, uh, who... This was their third game for VidKids. It was Stargate, Robotron, and this one, I believe. Um, they worked for Williams before that, but after they left Williams, they formed VidKids, and they did Stargate, this, and Robotron. They left some uh, copyright uh, notices in this game. Um, yeah. There's one. It's a copyright 1983 VidKids, all right, reserved. Duh. Uh, another one is Keepa Yuhans off of my programma. <laughs> <laughs> um 
The other one, Blaster trademark. Blaster is a trademark of VidKids. Copyright 1983, all rights reserved. LED, EPJ. You touch on my programma, I break a you face. And the last one here is Blaster. Blaster is a trademark of VidKids. Copyright 1983, VidKids, all right reserved. So there. <laughs> I like that. LED, kind of, that's how I think that's how the copyright notice in Airplane ends, too. Yeah, yes. Actually, it does. Yes, yes. Oh, yeah. I never thought about that. We thought yep. about that. Yeah, because Airplane was 1980. Yep. Oh, wow. So, mm. yeah, that's got to be that. We talked about Airplane earlier in this podcast. See, that's everything right. comes around. It's yep. a great circle. It's a great mandala or whatever it is. But um, let's go into ports. There were no home ports of this game because really? this game was the port. Blaster was first an Atari home computer slash 5200 game, and they worked on it, and they got a prototype going on the 8-bit computer. But um, the people, the suits at Williams were like, you know what? We released the arcade game first. So they made the arcade game, and the home port was never released, uh, although a prototype exists in... Um, I've got a reproduction of the prototype on cartridge. I oh. won it in a contest, actually. I showed it to uh, Larry Demar. He saw the little label on it that said Blaster, and he's like, I wonder if I made this one, and we were at the Galloping Ghost trying to open it to see if this was yep. there was one that he did, but we couldn't figure out how to get the cartridge open. <laughs> so uh, I guess we'll never know. But um, it's kind of, it's, it's, it's like kind of like the prize of my collection of stuff. I, I don't collect just to collect, but I do kind of value that. Um, a, I, again, I won it in a contest, so I got it for free. But sure. I also did have uh, Larry Demar and Eugene Jarvis autograph it, but uh, the label is kind of crappy, and so their autograph is like wearing off, so I'm going to have to find a way to get them to do it again. But I've actually seen Larry Demar uh, since uh, I met him. I saw him at uh, Midwest Gaming Classic talking to his wife in the hall. Oh, really? I, I um, didn't know he was there. The, not this year, the uh, last year. Huh. Yeah, it was oh, last okay. year. But, um, and I will say this, and... Um, this could have been an addenda and errata, but it does actually is germane to this game as well as uh, one or two others. But um, I first played this at the Aladdin's Castle in the Chicago Loop at 155 North Wells Street. 155? Are you sure it wasn't like 115? Oh, maybe it was 115. Maybe I should look at my notes again. Oh. Load. Damn you. Oh, you're right. It was 115 North Wells. What happened is in, there's a there's a Facebook group where a member... I don't, are, you, are you a member of the Ark, the Aladdin's yep. Castle group? Okay. Sean and I are a member of an Aladdin's Castle uh, group on Facebook, and somebody posted an ad noting the locations of Aladdin's Castles in the Chicago area. And of course, Louis Joliet Mall was there and a few others that I knew about. Uh, um, Lincoln Mall. Lincoln Mall. Oh. Um, there actually was an Aladdin's Castle in a shopping mall that I don't know the name of, but it was across the street from the old Chicago amusement park. There was a Kmart at one end and a department store called Crawford's on the other. But the only time I saw it, the, the Aladdin's Castle had closed down. So it shows uh, how often I got there. But, oh, um, man, they had one at the Hyatt Regency O'Hare. And that was before I started going there for Beetlefest. So, yeah, at 115 North Wells is what it said on this one for downtown Chicago on this, on this ad that was reposted. And I'm like, I wonder if that's it. So I went into Google Street View and I went to 115 North Wells. That was the exact building I remember it being in. So ah, I know the location nice. of it now. So that's awesome. I think it's like a tax. It's a ta it's either a tax place or a uh, payday loan place now. Oh, of course, it's like tucked behind a restaurant though. So you know, there's at least something good in that building. So yeah, 115 Northwest downtown. That's where I played the arcade version of um, of what was that Boulder Dash from a previous episode not too long ago. 
And uh, so, yeah, that was awesome. And that is Blaster. That is definitely Blaster. Blaster. Yes. So, uh, Sean, what do you uh, what do you think about the or? Well, first, since you since you just talked to. Actually, I shouldn't say since, because you just talked about where you first played Blaster. I'm going to talk about where and when I first played Blaster. Where and when? I first played Blaster in December 2018, actually, with Sean Holly from Tenpence Podcast. We played it at the Galloping Ghost. Oh. That was the first time. I, mean, I think I actually tried it once before, but I didn't know what the hell I was doing, so I sought out Mr. In Your Face for some guidance, and I do appreciate that, by the way. And I thought I was doing pretty well. I mean, I don't know. But uh, what do I do? I like the game. I I like it. I don't love it though. I really don't. Uh, it's I, something about those kinds of games where you have the 3D moving ahead mm-hmm. things. Uh, I think I had a similar problem with The Empire Strikes Back. It was just hard for me to kind of focus on. It's just not my kind of game. And one thing that I and this is a very common problem from what I understand. It is so hard to center your shots. Because yes. there's that one that one uh, wave where you're supposed to shoot that what was it a planetoid either first or last? Uh, that was you the saucer. You get a, and you yeah the saucers and you wouldn't even get the bonus if you I could not do it because <laughs> man that's just way too precise for what uh, my eyes can do so yeah but hey it it's a nice game I I do like I I, I probably will go back to it probably. I would. I am curious, though. I would love to see it on the Atari Eight Bit. Yes, we know it exists. I, um, I was thinking about it. The doc, the doc, doc wasn't at the Galloping Ghost today. But one of these days, we're going to have to get together and, um, and uh, well, you've got your Eight Bit, but uh, yeah, and bring it along to play it. It's of course you can. I, I believe you can also download it from um, AtariMania.com through their database there. But uh, it's amazing everything that's going on in the prototype. And that the lowly Atari 8-bit computer can handle it is just an incredible feat of programming. They out really outdid themselves. It's it's confusing. There's a lot of stuff going on, especially like the robot grid screens. It's like all sorts of polygons. Even in the arcade, it gets a little... I, w- I would liken the robot grid sequence to almost uh, to iRobot in a way, with the way that there's just so many polygons and stuff going on. It's, just, it's, it's very disorienting in, in, at times. Uh, even though there's like you know totally different t- styles of gameplay, but um, as with every Williams game, we don't really have to say any th- more about this. But the audio and visuals are just um, astounding. I mean, it's on the like the, the the classic Williams hardware, so it it does use a lot of sound effects from other games. I mean, you can hear like Robotron sound effects and Defender sound effects and all yeah. that in the game. Recycle sound effects, but. If you're going to recycle sound effects, those are games to re- recycle the effects from because they're just they're just amazing the way they are too. By the way, speaking of sound effects, is this, an, is this another one of those Williams games in which you are only hearing one sound at a time? You know what? That's a good question. I don't know. I mean, and I, I just played the game today, and I played the game today, and I'm I don't know. Hmm. The thing is, the game is so frantic. I mean, it's hard to notice stuff like that. This is like a really busy game with a lot of stuff going on. It's uh, it is a huge challenge. It's easily one of the hardest games that Williams ever came out with. I would say it's harder than Sinistar. And Sinistar is hard as hell. Yeah, yeah I think it's harder than Sinistar. But um, I, I really, really do like this one a lot. Um, but uh, before I give my rating, uh, do we have any scores for this game? All right. Yeah, we do have a couple of scores for Blaster. 
Now, the Orcade.com, A-U-R-C-A-D-E.com, high score, assuming that the settings are at 20 waves per loop, Max Johnson. That's a hell of a name right there. Max Johnson is Big Ellen Steele. Man, talk about a guy whose name is a pickup line. <laughs> uh, his score is 2,950,800, which he performed August 8th, no, August 3rd, 2017 at the Game Preserve in Spring, Texas. And if we go over to uh, Twin Galaxies, we see that the uh, a similar setting, 20 waves per loop, three ships, extra ship every 100,000. Paul Hornitsky, whom we've mentioned before for other games, uh, he scored 151,153,020. And that was verified February 23rd, 2013 via a DVD. That's the marathon mode. Tournament mode, 30 waves per loop, five ships, no extra ship, uh, excuse me, no extra hips. 30 says, waves, so that's the original ROM. I guess so. But yeah, it says no extra si hips here. Sip. Yeah, I thought it was going to say ships, but uh, it says si hips. Uh, that's uh, 1,030,080 verified December 2nd, 2005 on a DVD. So yeah, that's uh, we're looking at in terms of scores. Uh, as for me, not quite that high. I think maybe on a good day, I scored about 60,000-ish. Mm -hmm. Maybe, maybe, maybe. Uh, I think that's about where I uh, fall in on this one. It is, again, it is a really difficult game, but if you get far into this thing, man, you can score a buttload of points. If you get to Paradise, it gives you a million points. Ah. A million point bonus for uh, getting uh, getting through uh, through all 20 waves. So all if you can do waves. another 20, it's another million points, so... Uh, it's a decent scoring game, uh, but like, but uh, you know, I'll never see it. <laughs> so, is it Williams? And yeah, I'm not going to see a decent score. Oh yeah, although I think if any, although I was playing Sinistar today and um, I got past the first wave, I haven't got I've past the that. second wave in a long time. I've actually gotten past the first wave in Sinistar before. Second wave, no, I've but I came it close once, once or twice. The yeah. second wave. Sinistar's a freaking addicting game. <laughs> oh, God. Galloping Ghost has the uh, cockpit. For, or the, and the environmental. They got them both. Yeah. The, uh, this, I noticed the seat at the one at the Ghost is kind of like cracked. But um, hmm. I pre it's still my preferred way to play. Uh, crack and all. Of course. You know, crack and crack. I don't know. Where am I going with that? But, so, hey, what are you going to rate this game? Uh, I'm going to rate it a three. You're going to rate it a three? Yeah. Yeah, but I, I, I imagine I'll come back to it, though. This is a game that's um, three continues out of five. This is a game that I, I I do really like, like the whole seeing through the uh, the cockpit, like first person perspective type older games because they don't give me uh, motion sickness like the newer ones do. Because the newer ones are just so realistic. I mean, let's just be newer games like that are just realistic. I mean, let's be let's be honest there. But uh, if anything, you're, there's I know I'm going to get hate for this, but the only uh, first person perspective or is it third person? Well, through the cockpit space shooter game that I really don't care for, Star Raiders. Just not a huge fan of that one. It just doesn't grab me. Maybe if I had it way back, you know, when it was like the first of that sort of game, maybe my opinion would be different. But uh, I don't care for that much. I mean, I like 
you know, granted, it was on the Atari 8-bit computers and the 2600, but uh, I mean, I like games like Blaster, I like Buck Rogers, I like uh, the Star Wars arcade game as long as well as Empire Strikes Back, uh, Star Master and Star Voyager on the 2600, Hell Robot Tank, and um, Battle Zone are basically a similar perspective. I like those. I'm just not a huge fan of Star Raiders. Mm. Sorry. But uh, so, okay. anyway, with that, I'm going to rate this game a four. Uh, I was originally going to rate it a five, but I knocked it down a little bit because the because for Williams games, this game is actually maybe a little bit too unfair with its difficulty. So I knocked it down just a little bit because of that. This is definitely a game I'll go back to because out of all games I've played, the control, the arcade control of this one just really feels right. I really do like the control scheme on this one, and um, just just a good feeling pistol grip. It has the trigger, you know, button where it belongs, and the thrust button. You don't hit. Unlike Book Rogers, where you need, uh, you know, a sl- it has a slow and a fast button. This one just you hit the button, and your thrusters go off. And the second you take your hand off the thrust button, your ship starts uh, having inertia or getting becoming subject to inertia, and it starts slowing down. So every time you, you know, kind of like the way thrusting works in like Gravatar, that sort of thing. So, so yeah, I mean, it's a. I, I really like this game, but I can't rate it a five again. I told you why. I'm not going to repeat myself. So what? there we go. Not repeat. If you didn't hear it, Mister, I'm not going to tell you again. Ah. And that's Blaster. That is Blaster. So, and we're going to talk about Eugenio's email after we're done oh. talking about. Well, why, well, did he talk about Blaster? Yes, he did. He talked well, about both of the talk games. About, why not just talk about his, the portion that talks about Blaster? Or would it make sense to uh, not do that? Because he's both basically talking about both the games we're talking about tonight, I think we should probably just do it in one go. Because huh. it's the whole, basically the whole email. Ah, okay. I see what you're yeah. at there. So, huh. so let's talk about now, what shall we talk about? Oh, um, I don't know. How about... Cloak and Dagger. Uh-huh. Cloak and, uh-huh. Cloak and Dagger, which is a 1983 arcade video game released by Atari in 1983. And uh, it was programmed by Russell Rusty Daw. Cloak and Dagger. There are some fascinating stories behind this game, and I will go over a couple of them at least. There might be one or two that I've totally forgotten about that uh, hopefully Jimmy G can fill me in on. And I um, have to say this about the games we talked about tonight. I, I ta- we're talking about tonight. I, I, I briefly mentioned they it, suck? but I don't. I don't know if we've had two games in one episode that have so much interesting behind the scenes and trivia stuff. Yeah. Um, on them, and uh, these two games have, a f- have both have fascinating histories. So continue. Oh, thank you so ever. Um, 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 what game are we talking about? Is this, is, are we talking Courtesy about uh, ice cold beer? Ice cold beer. Yes, we are. Okay, so ice cold beer is a uh, electromechanical game. Well, not really mechanical. It's electro. For- oh wait, no, no, no. Notes say cloak and dagger. Dang it! We should talk yeah. about mechanical games at some point. All right, but. Here, let me flip back in my notes here. Ah, here it is. Okay. That's an interesting sound effect your computer makes when you scroll. And let's see, uh, Cloak and Dagger, when it started development, it was actually called Agent X, which is the name of the character you control. And apparently some prototypes exist with the Agent X title in the marquee, but regardless, if you have a Cloak and Dagger game, you will see the Agent X name on the actual innards of it. And speaking of uh, the 
prototype arcade game that's called Agent X, Dave Comstock, who worked on an unfinished Cloak and Dagger port for the Atari 8-bit computers, uh, he kind of joined the development on that about a month after another guy named Hal Cannon. I don't think we mentioned him on this podcast before, but Hal Cannon started working on it. But Dave Comstock owns, or at least at one point owned, a Cloak and Dagger prototype that has the Agent X marquee. By the it's way, something... in the notes, you misspelled Marquis. No, I didn't. Yes, you did. That's Marquis de Sade. This is the proper way to spell it, oh, by the way. Oh, okay. Yeah. M-A-R-Q-U-I-S is the proper way. Kind of like Perquisite. You know what's short for Perquisite? Perk. Mm. P-E-R-Q. Not P-E-R-K. P-E-R-K mm. is something that happens to you when you have some caffeine. But regardless, something interesting. There was, in, uh, there was an interview with Dave Comstock on the Antic Atari 8-Bit podcast, which we will link in the show notes. And actually, there were two interviews with him from that podcast, and we'll link both of them. And he did mention that the original prototype for uh, Cloak & Dagger slash Asian X had stereo sound, even though the final released version only had mono sound. And I can totally understand the stereo sound because there are two pokey chips. Actually, a lot of Atari arcade games had two pokey chips. And when I went to Galloping Ghost today, I was playing Star Wars, and the Star Wars arcade game had the pokey chip in there. Yeah. And it is, and of course, I have the 8-bit computer here, and hearing what they have done, they did with pokey chips in the arcade versus on the 8-bit computers is just night and day. It's just amazing what they're able to do sound-wise with that, with that chip. Oh, so. yeah. And the thing is, pokey chips do more than just sound. They do, yeah. they have all kinds of functions to them. Oh, yes. It's just that they're more known for the sound. Yeah, and yeah. and they and they do they do put out some pretty incredible sound. Which reminds me, I have to get a new pokey chip. Oh, you should have stolen one out of the Star Wars machine while you were there. They have two. Oh, that's right. Yeah, huh. I should have. And you're probably wondering, okay, you've several times mentioned that this game was originally called Agent X. So why, Sean? Why was it why? changed to Cloak and Dagger? Well, Sporty, I have an answer for you for that. Oh, boy, because Universal Pictures happened to be producing a movie called Cloak and Dagger at the same time that Agent X was being developed, and they kind of had almost similar plots. So when Atari and Universal happened to find out that the other company was working on another project that uh, sounded similar, they got together and said, hey, why don't we tie in the video game to the movie? And yet another video game movie that I did not see, not that I didn't make an effort. Netflix didn't have it. The library didn't have it. And I wasn't going to buy a damn DVD just to watch it. So uh, unless I really wanted to watch it a billion times. And actually, the way I understand it, this was probably the best video game movie that was ever released. (laughs) That's not hard to do. Uh, Wait, did I say that? (laughs) But the plot of the Cloak and Dagger movie, it involves a kid named Davy Osborne. Do you know who played Davy Osborne, Jimmy G? Uh, Bob Surratt. Yeah. Oh, actually, no. Sorry. No, Bob Surratt was in that other thing. Oh, that's right. Yes. Davy Osborne? Henry Thomas played him. You know what else Henry Thomas was in? Uh, a cocoon? Uh, he might Oh, wait, been. no, that was a Ron Howard film. You know what other movie in which he was? Uh, E.T.? E.T., he played <gasps> Elliot. What do I so win? There's, 
you win. Oh, probably a graphic from Richard Grounds telling you that this podcast has gone zero days without an E.T. mention. <laughs> but yeah, but uh, Henry oh, Thomas awesome. played Davy Osborne, <laughs> and Davy witnessed the murder of an FBI agent. And before said murder victim actually died, he handed over an Atari 5200 video game cartridge called Cloak and Dagger. He handed it to Davy. That's kind of po- morbid, actually, for a kid's it, film. Yeah, it really is. And <laughs> the thing about uh, the Cloak and Dagger game cartridge that was handed over, the game allegedly contained top secret data in the form of an Easter egg that you would trigger by reaching a score of 1,329,542. And of course, some of you diehard Atari fans know, well, nothing I'm saying here is new to you, but there was no such game for the 5200 as Cloak and Dagger. And it was too late during the production of the movie to hurry up and make one. So the cartridge that they used in the movie was fake, of course. And so in the scenes that Davey was playing the Cloak and Dagger game, they were actually using screens from the arcade version of Cloak and Dagger. And what really fascinated me was the video game that Davey was originally supposed to play before the Cloak and Dagger game happened was Donkey Kong. So I, th- I thought that was fast, especially because there's never been a 5200 version of it to this day, I believe. So I don't know, I don't know which version they would have used, but hey. Another interesting thing about the movie is that there's a scene where there's, they're like at a, they show like the window of a video game store. And then, of course, they have a mock cloak and dagger cartridge there, which yes. the game the game label looks totally different to everything that Atari was doing at the time. But if you look closely yeah, I noticed that too. In, the, uh, in the screenshot, there's a box for like 2600 Tempest and some other games <laughs> that Atari was making that were actually in prototype stage that were never released. Uh, I don't have that information here because I was hoping you actually posted it in the in the notes. But uh, I think but it's in the Wikipedia entry for I the movie. I believe it is, video actually. But uh, that's kind of neat. There's a little snapshot of stuff that Atari was working on if you can you know, freeze frame that screen uh, really, really well. So. Yeah. Now, what's even fascinating is that Cloak and Dagger was never made as a standalone arcade cabinet. It was only out as a conversion kit. And even interestinglyer than that, it was a conversion kit for Williams arcade games. That blew my little mind. But yeah, Cloak and Dagger was a conversion kit for Defender, Stargate, Joust, and Robotron. And I remember thinking, why couldn't they just use that for Black Widow? Well, because Black Widow is a vector game and uh, Cloak and Dagger is a raster game. And uh, the reason I said Black Widow is because Cloak and Dagger uses two eight-way joysticks. The joystick on the left is your move joystick. The joystick on the right is your fire joystick, kind of like Robotron. And uh, do we need to put the thing in here, or or do we even really need to bother since the whole first half was about... Yeah, I don't think so. I don't think you need to. Hyde, Hyde, use your best judgment. Oh, God, we're doomed. Oh, yeah, that's right. Oh, but yeah, and to the right of the fire joystick... There's an ignite button that I did not know until earlier today, honestly, (laughs) because when I was playing this game, I was just using the joysticks. I was just using the joysticks, so I didn't know there was another button. Yeah, I could have researched this sooner than when I actually did it, but hey, what what, what are you going to do now? And as for the gameplay, I'm just going to read you what it says in the operations manual. Uh, I will read this. 
Oh, oh, how should I read this? What way should I read this? Why don't you do a dramatic reading? I don't think you've ever done one. No, I don't like doing dramatic readings. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Because, I mean, Shatner has the market cornered on that. That is true. Should I do it in a Sean Holly style? Sure, why not? That's not true. Agent X as he descends underground floor by floor to Dr. Boom's lap. No, that's not going to work. No, screw it. I'll just be myself. Be you. your best self. No, it makes sure no one knows the real you. Real you, yes. Uh, you control Agent X, or is it Agent 10? Ooh, that's a good or question. Or is it Agent Key? Hmm. Oh, man. Wait, Use your best judgment. I'm just going to say Agent X, because everybody knows what an X is. You control Agent X as he descends underground floor by floor to Dr. Boom's lab, located on the 33rd floor. Your goal is to retrieve top-secret plans that are surrounded by an electrical arc that is like a curvy thing, not like a giant boat that you stick like two animals of each species on. Oh. Uh, anyway, your Good main goal is to... Re- oh, I already said that. To stop the electrical current, Agent X must shoot all the fiery nodes as he fights off robot guards. As Agent X leaves the elevator on each floor... He must make his way carefully and quickly across the screen to another exit. Each floor displays a configuration of conveyor belts, moving green unarmed and red armed explosives. The red explosives will explode on contact. Some floors have marauding robot guards, death ray shooting, crawling eyes. Oh, that's two MST3K episodes right in that little phrase. And acid pits. Once Agent X has the top secret plans in hand, he must make his way back to the surface. If he exits on a floor that was bombed on the way down, he will find a massive crater protected by node monsters and the previously mentioned attackers. I read that way too dramatically for something <laughs> so bland. And the previously mentioned... Dun, uh, dun. If, if he exits on a floor that was not bombed, a super guard will join the other attackers to challenge Agent oh, X. Oh, interesting. On the final level, lever, lever? On the final level, rumors are that he will meet the notorious Dr. Boom himself. Dr. Boom. So yeah, that's uh, that's Boom, a good Dr. plot Boom. summary, I think, better than I could have done, uh, mainly because I've just yeah. been dead exhausted the past week. Uh, but anyway, uh, just... During the gameplay, you have your, you control Agent X, obviously, and he needs to pick up secret maps from the conveyor belts that are scattered throughout uh, each of the screens, and those secret maps are identifiable as white boxes marked with the letter S. And during certain points in the game, depending on what your score is, you can pick up a box marked with an X, and the box with an X will give you an extra life. There is a bomb in the middle of each floor. It's one of those classic cartoony bowling ball looking things with a fuse. And uh, the fuse, I think, is lit as soon as, the, as soon as you enter the floor. And Agent X needs to exit to the elevator before the bomb explodes and kills him. Some days you just can't get rid of a bomb. The later that Agent X exits the floor... You know how, how hard that is to say? The later that Agent X exits the floor... Oh man, what if it, what if you were playing his divorced wife? As soon as Agent X's X exits the floor, man, that's Ooh. but no. The later that Agent X leaves the floor, the greater his fuse bonus is. You get a little fuse bonus at the end of each uh, round, assuming you leave without dying. For an extra bonus, Agent X can hit the igniter button and light the fuse himself, assuming he's close enough to the bomb. 
but he has to exit like right away or else he's going to die. And uh, the um, description that I read from the manual talks about the uh, robots and the crawling eyes. There are also forklifts that you'll encounter in various levels. Forklifts cannot be destroyed. If you shoot at a forklift, your shot will reflect back at Actually, you. Actually, your note says the shot reflects back. Not my notes. Yes, it says not, my, not, not the private notes I have that I'm Frolex. reading from. For That's the, those are the public notes that I put up. Oh, I see. Okay. Yeah. So and uh, so yeah, that's that's the game. And uh, I can't give the game justice if you've never seen it. I my description won't give you any justice at all. It looks kind of cartoony in a way, it, almost kind of like uh, those old, you know, those old cartoons. Or I think like Popeye had one in which he had to uh, chase Sweepy through a factory, and it, it kind of reminded me of those kind of cartoons. But uh, just the way that the animation is and everything and and the game itself, it's full of cutscenes. Uh, you can start the game at uh, one of many different levels. You can start at the ground floor, you can start at the fifth floor, the ninth floor. Uh, if you start at the ground floor, you get an entire intro screen that actually shows uh, Dr. Boom stealing the plans from Agent X. And I got to be honest, I could not tell what the hell that thing was. I thought it was a <laughs> slug or like an amoeba or something, but it was no, it was, uh, it was uh, Dr. Boom. It's just a weird graphical representation. I guess somebody it's pretty low oh, res. There's a couple of things you missed out here because when you're saying you get rid of you, one thing uh, you're talking about. about Did the I box. miss out or just not get to it yet? Ooh. Oh, I don't know. Maybe I should listen. But uh, I'm just yeah, saying and, uh, the things I, mentioned, I was going to bring up, I, I didn't see in the notes. Let's put it that I, way. Well, yeah, there. Yeah, I'm going to mention some things that I didn't put in the notes that you have. Uh, there, and I did I mention cutscenes? Yeah, there's the intro well, scene. Cutscenes. Every time you enter an elevator, there's a cutscene, which at first kind of put me off because I don't like waiting usually. Like if I'm playing in Mame because my uh, arcade cabinet is not available at the time, um, I usually hit the key combination to speed things up and then let it go when it's done. But I actually like the cutscenes in, <laughs> in Cloak and Dagger. They're kind of entertaining. Uh, they're almost random because uh, what happens is when you get into the elevator, it actually shows you Agent X in the elevator, like full size and everything. He might just stand there just tossing a coin to kind of pass the time. Uh, there's one scene that happens once in a while where he's riding the elevator and just out of nowhere, <laughs> a little mechanical claw appears I and grabs that his hat. That's freaking hilarious. And, <laughs> and I have to uh, say, uh, the movie, uh, we said Henry Thomas was in the movie, uh, but also it featured Dabney Coleman as Oh, he Agent was in X. every movie back then. Yeah, he, he, was, he was Agent X, and Agent X in the movie was basically like a figment of Henry Thomas's imagination. Uh, in the cut screens, Agent X looks almost exactly like Dabney Coleman. Oh, thought, yeah, I never thought of that. I was looking at that and like, holy crap, they actually did a really good job with that, with, <laughs> with, with the limited resources and stuff. Yeah. Um, if I may add one other thing, you know what, I'll, I'll wait this other thing I'm yeah. going to add. But, but um, yeah, yeah, I want to go back to the conveyor belts because the conveyor belts are going to be in every level. And they're going to be carrying numbers of different items, mostly some kind of uh, explosive devices. There are the armed ones that I mentioned before. Those are the red ones. If you touch those, you, they're going to explode and you're going to die. Uh, there are the unarmed ones. Uh, I didn't know what the hell those things were until I actually read the manual because I thought they were tennis balls. I thought they were tennis balls, but no, they're unarmed explosives. You can shoot just about anything that, that appears on the screen. Really? 
for um, at least a minimum number of points. Also, there are some levels in which you have to actually shoot away walls oh, to yeah. access mm-hmm. certain things. And you actually get, I think, a point for shooting away a bit of uh, of wall. That would make sense. Po- yeah, there are some various enemies in the screen that you can shoot. Uh, in fact, let me get into the scoring right now. Uh, if you shoot a cave wall, you get a point. Uh, if you shoot unarmed explosives, the tennis balls, you get 10 points. Armed ones, the red ones, you get 50 points. There's a sleeping guard and you shoot the sleeping guard, you get 50 points. Uh, if you pick up an armed explosive, uh, you get uh, 100 points, which I don't know if I've ever been able to do because those things explode on you. If you shoot a guard that is not sleeping, you get 200 points. If you shoot a lab arc node, you get 200 points. Mystery box could be anywhere from 200 and 1800 points. Uh, node monster is 1000 points. The Crawling Eye is worth 1,000 points. If you shoot a Super Guard, you get 2,000 points. Sometimes you'll encounter Dr. Boom before you get to the 33rd floor. And if you shoot Dr. Boom, you get 50,000 points. But the thing is, he's going to come back later. He's basically uh, destructible, but not destructible at the same time. He's basically Schrodinger's Dr. Boom. And when you pick up all the secret plans, you get 100,000 points. And different things that you do, like shooting a sleeping guard, shooting an armed explosive, you'll get some bonus points too. Usually 100 points, sometimes 200 points, sometimes none. And if you yourself light the fuse, the shorter the fuse, the more points you get. That could be a bonus of anywhere between 2,000 and 9,000. And once the fuse is lit, any bonus points you acquire from that point on are doubled. So, yeah. Now, did you mention why you have to have the the maps? Actually, no, I didn't. Why, well, why why do we have to have the maps, really? Well, You're a geography geek. You don't need a map. Every fourth screen mm-hmm. has hidden landmines that you can't That's walk right. on. And, yeah, and uh, there's little X's along those yes. along safe paths. Now, you can see them if you get close to them, but which but if you don't have the maps then you have to go through that level really slow, and time is not on your side because of the fuse on the bombs. Uh, If you only get one or two portions of the map, only that portion of the screen will Mm -hmm. will show you where the landmines are. And actually, if you notice at the top of the screen, there's uh, three bars. Uh, Each one says map one, map two, map three, I believe. And if you pick up a box, it will light up. What was it? The box with the S. It will light up. Uh, showing that you got that part of the map, and then it, when you get to the map screen, it will show you everything underneath that bar, mm-hmm. and it does that with the other ones. So if you get all three of them, I mean, then hey, I mean, you still got to watch your way through there, but it's going to be a lot easier than having to walk gingerly up to to the I landmines. Know. So that's why you need those maps for every fourth level. Mm. Hmm. See, told you. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, anyway, um, so what else is going on with this game? I think that's it's a summary of the game right there in a nutshell. Uh, I should talk about home versions. The only home version was the one that I mentioned before. The prototype for the Atari 8-bit computers started by Hal Cannon and then joined by Dave Comstock later. And uh, if I might add, uh, I mentioned that you could get Blaster at Atari, www.atarimania.com. Uh, you can download the prototype for Blaster. You can also download the prototype for Cloak and Dagger there as well. That I did not know. I just and checked quite that quite honestly, out. it might not even be worth the download. You know why? 
It's only 50% complete. It's only 50% finished. It's not really playable. They canceled the it's, project because of the video game crash. It is It is worth it to download. Uh, first of all, it's not that big. It's not going to take a whole lot of time. Well, that's true. And it's worth it just to see what they were working on. And uh, it's um, actually kind of impressive what they were doing, how they were going to fit it into the 5200's limited memory. I don't know. But uh, they were really... They were they were in the process of knocking that one out of the park. Yeah, yeah. I saw the screen caps. They look really good. Oh, they definitely do. So yeah, and um, 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 hey, might as well just talk about high scores for now. I started with Orcade.com for Blaster, so I'm going to start with Twin Galaxies for Cloak and Dagger. According to the Twin Galaxies rules. To have your score registered with the Twin Galaxies scoreboard, you have to start from floor nine or higher. And uh, let's see, it looks like John McAllister, who's another person we've mentioned before, he has the record so far with 1,497,744, and that was verified April 1st, 2009 via DVD. As for Orcade.com... There are no scores listed there, despite there being seven locations as having a copy of Cloak and Dagger in stock, and that includes Fun Spot and Grinkers and Pinball PA. I kind of wonder if Doc has uh, Cloak and Dagger in storage somewhere, and they're just waiting on a part or something. Or if he has just the kit, I don't know. That's true. Did you know, apparently you can still get Super Missile Attack kits, by the way. Really? Yeah, I did not know about that. Ooh, I did not know that. I would. Oh man, I would love to try that game sometime. But anyway, that's that's a different uh, that's thing here altogether. There. Uh, so Jimmy, um, what's your last name again? Oh yeah, G. Yes. Um, where did you first see and or play Cloak and Dagger? Well, this is an interesting episode because this is the first time in a long time where <laughs> I have not played either of the games in one of my general locations, the Putt Putt or the Aladdin's Castle. I actually played this one for the first time. Way, way, way back when at uh, Marriott's Great America. Oh man, and, yeah, that uh, has the a... same trip. Wait, that was it I... still Marriott's when this it game was, was it out? It was a Marriott's, yes, it was. Huh. And um, I played it on the same trip. I played Food Fight, actually. Oh wow! And um, so yeah, so I actually did get a chance to play this. It was interesting because uh, this year we got season passes to Great America. There's a whole story there, but uh, I'm not going to go into it. And yeah. um, it was interesting because I was just thinking about it walking through the park and trying to remember where the old arcades were. And uh, I'm like, oh, yeah, one used to be over here. And then way back, like in the hometown there square was more section. Than one? There was a couple of them. There was one near the near the uh, train station in the hometown square area. Huh. Uh, I believe it is, I think it might just be storage now. Hmm. Uh, either that or it's the membership. I think it's the membership office actually now. And there used to be one in the back in the county fair area. Uh, I think that I know that one's just storage now. A couple of years ago, that one was like this place where you bought like a magic wand and you went in there and you're like shooting different things in it. But they haven't done anything there for a while. Well, actually, they closed off the doors and in just inside there are a couple of arcade games, but nothing classic. There's like four or five like newer newer machines there, but that's about it. And hmm. I think there was a third one, but I couldn't tell you where that was. But I know there were definitely two. Uh, the one hmm. in the front of the uh, of the park, I know I played um, Congo Bongo and Sinistar there the first time for the very first time, and the one in the back is where I played Food Fight and uh, Cloak and Dagger. Huh. Mm-hmm. I was a young one. Indeed. It was a Plainfield High School choir trip. Yeah, I've never seen Cloak and Dagger ever. Cloak ever. and Dagger. 
Yeah, so... Uh, Perfect Nugent. Yeah. Uh, except for the uh, arcade cabinet that, that I own. Uh, oh, of I, actually, I don't own the arcade cabinet. I just own the conversion kit. I just ah, don't have a way to play it on a arcade cabinet, so I have to use MAME instead. And it is a, it is a bit of a pain in the ass trying to swap out, you know, the Robotron board, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it, it's yeah. I'd just rather have the professionals do it. Uh, That's a good. Point. And it, something that just came into my mind when I was playing Cloak and Dagger before is that man. Like between probably starting with asteroids and going probably even beyond when Cloak and Dagger was out, Atari just kept hitting it out of the park with their games. It's it was such such a amazing variety and creativity. Mm-hmm. It really was like Cloak and Dagger. There's no other game like Cloak and Dagger. There's no other game like Major Havoc or Black Widow. Oh, which by the way, the, I uh, got or to play. Tempest. Uh, I got to play Major Havoc for the very first time in the arcade today. Really? Yes, they had it. It was up and running at the Galloping Ghost. Oh, and, I forgot they have it. And uh, that controller on that thing is interesting. Oh yeah. Uh, it. Uh, we'll talk about it at a later date. But yeah, I, I didn't got to get play to it. spend much time at the Ghost on Sunday. Or I didn't get to play many games because my Cubert's Cubes game lasted so freaking long, and I wanted to get home before too late. Here's my take on Cloak and Dagger. Yeah. This game is well. I mean, it is it is a Robotron conversion kit. But it, sure. this is Robotron to, like, the nth degree. It's like Robotron – it's Robotron with a lot more depth than the original Robotron has because there's a lot more to it. You actually have a mission. You're not just shooting things and picking up. You're not just scoring points. Uh, you're trying – you've actually got a mission to complete. And once you get the top secret plans, you have to escape the facility. Yeah. And I believe at that point the game ends. I don't think it goes on uh, at that point. If you get to the – well, back to the ground floor – and there's a lot more going on in this game than there was in Robotron. You think there's a lot going on in Robotron? And there is. There's a hell of a lot. Oh, of there's course. a lot more going on in this one. There's just so much going on and so much variety in this game. The cutscenes really are a nice, uh, nice way to relax between them. Then there's the uh, the level select when you're in the elevator. If you pull both joysticks down, you can skip several levels. Uh, and actually, it's the same way if you're uh, if you're in the elevator after you've gotten the top secret plans. This is actually this is a really really fun game. I really liked this one a lot. I don't remember liking it this much when I originally played it, but I mean maybe it's been out of my memory for so long. But uh, playing it again over the last couple of weeks, I, I, I really like this one. This is one I'm going to play over and over and over. Keep going back to. This is a really addicting game. I I was I did not remember how fun this game was, and this is like one of. Maybe, graphically speaking, there's a lot to look at, and it might not be Atari's cleanest game they've ever released when it comes to the graphics. But uh, Oh, yeah, it, yeah. But what it uh, lacks in that, it makes up for in gameplay in spades. Well, the thing is, keep in mind, it's a conversion kit for True. Williams games, so they might have had to, I don't, I don't know, like adjust to using Williams hardware to some degree. I mean, I don't know. I really don't don't understand how this works when you're doing intercompany conversion kits. Is there any other uh, arcade game out there that's a conversion kit for a game made by somebody else? Well, I mean, there's a lot out there. It's just maybe from like one of the big companies, I don't know. There was a game, oh God, what the hell was it called? It was a conversion kit for Galaxian, but what it was, you had like this bee and you had to like move these gates around to form like honeycombs to trap the enemies. Uh, that was a conversion kit for Galaxian. I can't I can't think of the name of it off the top of my head. Uh, then, of course, I mean, if you're going to conversion kits, I mean, Ms. Pac-Man, Crazy Otto, 
was kind of a conversion kit. I mean, Pac-Man had a lot of that. It, I mean, hacks kind of are conversions. Now, there was another example I had off the top of my head, but I can't think of it off the top of my head now. But, uh, yeah, I mean, there are, there are conversion kits from smaller companies to larger company stuff, but I think this is the only one I know of where a big company, a major company, produced a conversion kit for another major company's hardware. I think this might be the only example of that. Yeah, that's that's very interesting. I wonder if there had to be some kind of licensing agreements or something. Atari and Williams were really, really tight back then because Atari had the rights to all of Williams' homes ga- home games. And um, then, of course, as with Blaster, uh, Eugene Jarvis and Larry Demar were uh, making Blaster for the Atari 8-bit home computers as well. And um, the, the two companies were really tight. It's not it's really, it's honestly no surprise that eventually the Atari arcade games went all the way over to uh, to Williams at some point. <laughs> really, all of them went to Williams, <laughs> exception of like Namco. I mean, Midway and Atari, and there's uh, another one I can't think of off the top of my head. They all came under the Williams banner, banner eventually. But yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I, I could keep talking about this game. This, this is a really oh, can fun you? one. I could, but I'm not going to. Oh. And should I really give my rating now? I might as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'll give it this one a five. That's, this is just fun. I mean, you need two joysticks. The fuse button thing, if you're setting up a controller, I guess isn't required, but uh, it will help your score if you have it. Oh, so, sure. Uh, so I would definitely uh, use it. But, uh, oh, yeah, this one's a definite must play. If you have an arcade nearby that has this, play it. Otherwise, if you own the cabinet, uh, emulate it and MAME. And uh, then, again, also check out the uh, the prototype from, uh, from Atari Mania. I have to add the aside that uh, while the Cloak and Dagger prototype was 50% complete, Blaster looks like it's 100% complete, so uh, you can get both of the prototypes from Atari Mania. Ooh, secondary theme for today's episode. So, yeah, I'm giving this one a five. This is a really fun game. I really like this one a lot. How about you? I'm going to give it a four out of five continues. Uh, uh, for the same reasons, I don't know if I go so far as to say a five, and I think you kind of identified one thing for me that uh, I didn't really mention before, but hmm. yeah, the like especially when you're in the elevator, the graphics are kind of blocky. Yeah, I, I mean, mean... Again, that could be just because Atari had to deal with Williams' graphics and they didn't quite know how thinking to Thinking about to it, it, this game actually does look like an 8-bit home computer game. It kind of does. You're right. Yeah. And yeah. It, yeah that just Especially the way the enemies look. Yes. Yeah. It, you know what? It kind of reminds me of the graphics in the Atari 8-bit game Dandy, in a way. Sort oh, of. I, yeah. Yeah. I see that. I mean, That's not entirely, but they have, a, they have like a similar aesthetic, maybe. Like, it requires that you have a little bit of imagination. Yeah. Again, like the unarmed uh, devices, I thought they were tennis balls. <laughs> But but then again, what it makes what it la- what where it's lacking in graphics, it totally makes up for in the gameplay. Oh, easily, easily. The sound is pretty cool too. And uh, yep. I couldn't help but notice that in the elevator scenes, there's a, a variation on the Peter Gunn theme in terms of the yes. baseline. Oh, and did you notice? I don't remember if you mentioned this, but did you notice that if you set the fuse and you escape the room just in the nick of time in the elevator? Between the cracks of the elevator doors, you can see, like, the explosion going off. Really? Oh, I didn't notice that. Check what that did, out. That's really awesome. What I did notice that is uh, I love how Agent X looks if he gets in the elevator, like, right after the bomb explodes. Yes. Because there are a couple of different things he does. Mm-hmm. Dep- I think it's random as to which one he does, but he'll, like, kind of, like, pant out of panic yes. or something. 
I mean, it, it, I just, I love those touches. I, I really, really do. It's a fun game, and it's got its funny Tis. moments, too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, so, hey, you know what? Um, I believe we got a, um, what a should letter we... from... Uh, oh, yes, from Eugenio. Yes, yes. Why, why do we not address that sucker? Because we received it. Why would we address something that we received? I mean, if we're going to send it to him, maybe we could address it. Well, let's oh, see. Or what... do you mean? I mean, or do you mean talk about it? Let's read his damn feedback. Okay. Oh, it's ten oh five. I see why you're like that now. Okay. Uh, you know what? I'll read. I'll read here. Um, greetings and salutations, Sean and Jim. Aren't, aren't they the same thing? Greetings and salutations. There's your redundancy. Oh, <laughs> I see what you did there. <laughs> oh, ooh, nailed it. Um, unless you had a different one, but you could say that. No, I, I did not have one planned yet. I was going to wing it, but <laughs> greetings and salutations. Now I have go. one. Woohoo! I hope uh, I was well. I'd cut all that out so it makes it seem like we were. I, I actually did come up with it. Greetings and salutations, Sean and Jim. I hope all is well. I finished listening to the latest episode where you discussed Willow and Dragon Spirit. And I was a little surprised to hear that Sean doesn't like anything about dragons or fantasy. You'd get along. I do. Oh, that's not necessarily. I actually, there is one dragon thing that I love, and that's one of those Yosemite Sam cartoons. Where he's like, I hate dragons. In fact, I think Hyde might have used a clip from that. Oh, I think I know the one you're talking about. Wasn't yeah. he like well, in armor or something? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yes, I know. <laughs> yeah, that's a great one. Anyway, sorry about sorry. that. Go, uh, do, do, please go on. Um, you'd get along with my dad. By the way, I'm surprised the theme for the episode wasn't games and fantasy worlds. Huh. I never thought about that. Maybe we could change our notes. I don't know. We could, you know. Um, We've changed history. That's true. After all, Willow took place in a world of magic, and Dragon Spirit has, well, mythical dragons. As opposed to actual dragons. That's true. Also, I can certainly understand the change in the schedule to every three weeks. Or is it schedule? I'll tell you this. Uh, When Paul McCartney was on uh, Stephen Colbert's show a year or two ago, when Uh he said schedule... Colbert said, um, it's pronounced schedule, thank you. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Um, but real life does have a way to limit fun, or limit fun life. In any case, here's my feedback for the games on this episode. Blaster. This game I first discovered last year at Free Play Florida. I had never seen it before, but looked, but it looked rather cool, and a lot of people showed interest, so it usually had a line. Unfortunately, when it finally had no line, the machine had broken down. Thankfully, it was fixed by the next day, and I was able to play it. At the time, I did not know this game was sort of a sequel to Robotron 2084. It takes place a year l- later, after the Robotrons killed everyone, it seems. When I played it, the intro screen with the details on this wasn't showing, but rather the attract mode was on, so it wasn't until recently I learned of that connection. I found the game was game was a bit tough. Your ship's shots don't quite align with the center of the screen, so it's not as easy to aim. Yeah, there is a bit of a learning curve with that. Yep. Um, there's no actual crosshairs, but there is a box section for a little corner to show up that give you a sense of where your shots will go. I somehow managed some bonus at one point, but I was not able to do it again while I was there. With people waiting in line to try out the game, I didn't have another chance to play it that day, and it was down again on the last day of the event. This never saw any true ports to retro systems that I could find. I know it's on PS2 and other more modern systems in the Midway Arcade Treasures. I have to admit that if given the choice between Blaster and Robotron, I'd go for the latter. Um, yeah, I could see that. I, 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 I would, would too, quite yeah, honestly. I, I, I would definitely. Uh, but I still think this is a, a really good game, and um, I'm not changing my score, even though I think the <laughs> Robotron is a better game. You can have fives for different reasons. Sure, sure. So, do uh, you want to read Cloak and Dagger? Yeah. Let's see. Hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Out loud? Oh, oh, I'm sorry. All right. 
Cloak and Dagger. The history of this one is rather interesting. It's based on a movie that even featured Atari 5200 games, but ironically, the port of the game for that very console... That always bothers me when people use the adverb very as an adjective. Oh, well. That very console was never completed thanks to the video game crash. It's unfortunate because the prototype looks quite nice and very close to the arcade game. And uh, Eugenio provides a link that we should also probably provide. That is a link to the AtariProtos.com entry on Cloak & Dagger, which is run by our friend Tempest. Yep, and, uh, yep, uh, shoot, I closed something I shouldn't have closed here. There we go. The movie the game is based on was released with The Last Starfighter. Yeah, let me say it, Starfire. The Last Starfighter, and it starred the same kid who played Elliot in E.T. I've never seen the movie or the arcade game, to be honest. The game also has a connection to Robotron, from what I was able to read. Apparently, a conversion kit was sold to turn Robotron arcade cabinets into cloak and dagger cabinets. Yep, ditto uh, Stargate Defender and Joust. Oh my. After reading about both the movie and the game and watching videos of the game, now I'm really curious and want to watch the movie and find this game. Anyone selling a cloak and dagger cabinet so I can play the game in name? <laughs> I am also curious about what you guys have to say about this game. Well, you're curious no longer because we just told you. Yeah, just go back and listen and you'll yeah, hear listen it. Again. Uh, going to the final frontier gaming dot 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 Eugenio. Yeah, thank you so much, Eugenio. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, yeah, I, I want to see the movie too now. I do too. I've never seen it. Never, and like I said, everyone's saying it's like the best video game based movie that's been made. Although the original Mortal Kombat was pretty good. If you for a turn your brain off kind of game. Oh, by the way, they're making another Mortal Kombat movie. Oh, I think I heard about yeah, that. Yeah, and it's going to be rated R and it's going to have the fatalities in it. Ah. It'd be neat if they maybe did a Beavis and Butthead version of it and they'd have fatalities. But I digress. Uh, but thank you again, Eugenio. That was, uh, that was, thank you for your, for your email. And uh, again, if anybody wants to write us or give us a submission, you will, if you have an audio submission, we'll play it just like we did uh, with uh, Greg's uh, earlier in the episode. Our booth announcer, and remember that is her real name, uh, will tell you at the end of the episode how to, uh, how to get in touch with us. Um, yeah, I don't think she reads our email address though. So that's a uh, Pi Factory, I don't know, I but regardless, well, Pi Factory at. Pie Factory at fab4it.com or Pie Factory Podcast at fab4it.com. Yes, that latter fab one was because IT I... is spelled F-A-B, the number four, and then the I-T. And the last so, one was because yeah. I kept giving out the wrong email address earlier on yeah. in the show's history. Yeah, thankfully we can set up the provider so we can have as many email boxes as we want without extra costs. So Butthole that's a, that's at a Fab4IT. Nicety now. And uh, I, I do actually want to thank some people, but not until we reveal the theme. Did we reveal the theme? We did not. And the theme of tonight's episode are games that had Atari 8-bit computer ports that never made it out of prototype stage. Or, <laughs> and as an aside, as I had mentioned earlier, the a secondary one is the Arcade games whose Atari 8-bit prototypes are available at atarimania.com. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. So anyway, like I said, I, I want to thank uh, several people, and then we will talk about uh, what's coming up next for Pie Factory Podcast. And uh, before I do that, uh, I especially want to thank these people for for uh, especially sticking with us because we've kind of backed down a little bit. We're only doing uh, tri-weekly shows now instead of bi-weekly. Mm-hmm. And uh, I can't believe we used to do this every week. I oh, know. Man. Holy cow. That was insane. <laughs> but th- we n- I'm really surprised nobody has uh, stopped uh, supporting us financially or even 
lower their donation, which, you know, you're absolutely, I totally understand if you do, but mm-hmm. I do want to thank the following people because they've been so great and, uh, uh, helped offset a lot of our costs. Uh, and, uh, I want to thank first of all, our latest addition to our Patreon family. And that is air shack. Uh, he rock? only got a really half-assed mention last time because, well, uh, we got his uh, registration uh, <laughs> like sometime right. after we recorded before it was released. Yeah. We kind of had to so shoehorn it. We apologize, Airshack. Airshack, you are awesome. You Thank rock. you. And the rest of these people, they are also awesome. And I am talking, of course, of Steve Steiner, PJ Steele, Tim Fuller, Kyle Edder, Michael D'Angelo, uh, Greg Polander. You rock. Uh, Nate Lockhart, Art Guglielmo, New Balance Stores Phoenix, Jonas Rulo, Kurt Musgrave, Atari Bites, Rory the Charles Coleman, Frank O. Dragon, Keith Sheehan, Christian Williams, Underground Retrocade, Richard Grounds, Richard Valdez, and, of course, the charming, the delightful, you all know him, you all love him, um, do you? I don't know, but his name is D. Alex, you rock. thank you, everybody. Thank you so much. You're you're amazing. Uh, uh, Jimmy G, uh, oh, you know what? Our next episode is episode number 100. <gasps> 100, yay. It's a milestone based on an arbitrary number because we are on a, point, uh, we're on a, a 10-based num- numerical yeah, system. Yeah, we're on a decimal yay. system, so of course. Uh, so, yeah, um, I think what we're going to do, we talked about doing this earlier, but I think this is more appropriate for our 100th episode. We're going to go totally off topic here, and we're going to have a bad trivia night. And yes. I believe I mentioned before that I have a set of trivia cards well, wait, here. Wait, we'll, we'll, we'll tell you more about, we'll tell you more yes. about what that, that entails. We'll uh, tell you more about it. As it happens, baby. Yeah, we're hoping to round up some guests for that. Uh-huh. We got some ideas, and uh, hopefully they uh, they pan out, and uh, we'll go from there. Yeah, and uh, yeah, and then uh, what are we going to do for episode 101? Head on to... One of my, my favorite U.S. highways, by the way. I'm not going to make the obvious joke just yet. And uh, one of my favorite Pac-Man variations, Pac-Man Plus. Oh, exciting and new, huh? Exciting and new. And head on to, head on to, Electric Boogaloo. Come aboard. Oh, was that the one you were going to make? Ah, no, actually. That's, uh, that's going to be the second um, time in recent episodes in which we've talked about the sequel, but haven't talked about the original. No, you're right, actually. Yes, we talked about Super Breakout, but we haven't talked, talked about, about Breakout. Break- but in that case, I don't think there's any real need to talk about breakout. That, yeah, that is true. That is true. And this might be the case for Head On 2 as well. But, uh, hey, uh, Jimmy G, do you have uh, anything else we that you need to say before we uh, sign off this morning? This morning? I'm assuming that people are listening in the oh, morning. Oh, yeah, that's true. Uh, no, I'm good. I'm done. All right. Well, yeah, I guess uh, this is uh, Sean from Pie Factory Podcast this, Headquarters North. This is Jimmy G. And um, greetings and salutations. Ooh, that's going to confuse people being at the end of the episode. <laughs> this episode of the Pie Factory podcast was edited and produced by Hyde St. Pierre. Opening and closing theme is The Happy L composed by Sean Courtney. Love theme from Adenda and Arada was composed by Jim Goble. Follow the Pie Factory podcast online via Facebook, on Twitter at Pie Factory PFP, or on piefactorypodcast.com. Support the show at patreon.com slash piefactorypodcast.
Yeah.